promotional consideration paid for by the following. But you know and I know that you are only half the man that I am. And I have half the brain that you do. What is it? I don't even know what it's called. What is it called? Kevin. Dylan. You ready? Son of a bitch. Are you trying to tell me that I can dodge bullets? The wrong side of the river! I'm Michael George. Stop it. Get some help. Tony Mota. The terrorists have the president's daughter in the old bean factory. I can't get drunk today. Too bad you will die. Despicable. Despicable. What's-his-name show? Hi-ho from the Church of Better Movies, and welcome to the 41st episode of My Movies Better. I am Kevin. And I am Dylan. And this week, we are back for more shenanigans. Yeah. We're so, yeah. back, uh, changing up the format a little bit, Yeah, too. We, we got our uh, Steve Weisers ready, and now our two yeah. movies. We're ready to rock and roll. Instead of three, because it's, I think, gonna going to just change up how we do things and it's time you know yeah. we've done shit we've done like a ton of episodes so like let's play around with it yeah you know, we just want to see know. how this works you know if it jives yeah. it does we might go back to the other format for an episode here and there right Who knows? exactly you know? and i also feel like we were going to be doing some more um single episodes on like one movie because I, I like that as well and yeah it, you know it's and it just gives us a little bit more time to uh dig into the movies themselves yeah, definitely you know? So thank you, uh, all you listeners who've been sticking with us, and uh, onward and upward. Let's get this going. Let's so get this, this show on the road. Yeah, <laughs> let's get this show on the road. Come on, Vernon, let's burn one down. We got so, a weird movie. Y- so before that, I just want to run over. Um, w- this week we're doing kind of a, a an interesting theme. Uh, we didn't really have like a good title for it. That's yeah. like snappy, <laughs> like cowboy <laughs> movies or something. Yeah. Um. But it is, we're picked from a selection of films that are anachronistic or anachronistic uh, modern retellings, or at least out of their, out of their context retellings uh, of famous works from the classical or ancient period. So a great example of a film that would have fit, but we did not pick, was O Brother, Where Art Thou, which based on the, uh, heavily on Homer's Odyssey. Um, so this week, our two films are also like that, and actually one of them is also sort of based on the Odyssey as well, and that is Falling Down. And our other film is uh, your pick, The Tale of Princess Kaguya, Yes, which is based on the tale of the bamboo cutter. Yeah, exactly. Um, Very similar yeah. story. So if you don't know what anachronism or anachronistic <laughs> means, it basically just means something that is from a different time period showing up in a different time period from one time period showing up in a different time period you know so like it's like a movie that takes place in the future but everybody's talking like it's hamlet like say romeo and juliet but we specifically wanted films that were not just you know just the script of of the the story it was that the director had taken the story and reformed it into a different story that told a totally different uh it had a different meaning than the source material Right. Um, and both of these really nailed it. 
big time because uh, they're both anti it, the source material, but the same story at the same time. Right. Yeah. 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 Exactly. More. So, I feel like more so with Falling Down. Definitely. Falling definitely. Down is a very crazy take on it. It's like an anti Odyssey. Oh yeah. So your pick uh, was K- Princess Kaguya, and so was yeah. this theme. Why'd you uh, Why'd you go with this one? Uh, well, another part of it was because it was a very new movie for me to see. I saw mm-hmm. it with uh, my friend Nick Novello. Okay. Uh, I saw it with him. Shout uh, out. Yeah, and it's a it's a Ghibli movie that's not it's not a Miyazaki one. You know, it yeah, has Takahata. So. Yeah, exactly. It has a, this really beautiful hand drawn art style, and I was not familiar with the source material right. either. And it's just a really captivating long story yeah it definitely is you know um yeah isao's movies were and are uh in that sort of like crayon slash like simple line style yeah like with, really yeah. plain but but present hand-drawn mm-hmm. animation yeah um but we'll get more into that once we get to that film because right. that is our second film tonight right uh, but so, as always, we uh, start off with our weird or strange or awesomely weird movie of the week. <laughs> and this week I've chosen a film that came out the same week, I think, or same day, possibly, as uh, Falling Down. It is 1993's National Lampoon's Loaded Weapon 1, also simply known as Loaded Weapon 1, which was a satirical buddy cop comedy film and parody film. Uh, or, as they call it, a spoof movie. Yep. Uh, directed by Gene Quintano and also written by Quintano. And the film starred Emilio Estevez, or Estevez, uh, Sam L. Jackson, Kathy Ireland, Frank McRae, Tim Curry, and William Shatner. And it is mainly spoofs the first three Lethal Weapon movies, as well as other popular films at the time, including Basic Instinct, Die Hard, Dirty Harry, Rambo, the Silence of the Lambs, Wayne's World, 48 Hours, and Chips, the TV series. Jesus. It's in this, like, there's, we were talking about it off uh, off the pod beforehand. This is like this era of just movies that are spoofs going from Airplane, you know, up to like the Scary Movie series. Yep. Scary Movie franchise. Dude, yeah, know? and it spawned so um, much other stuff too. Like, spoof movies had a little yeah, revival yeah. in like the early aughts early 2010s right. well there's even like ones like you know not another teen movie yeah right um, superhero movie yep, i think is yep. one of them or something like uh yeah there's definitely a superhero one yeah there's like there's like the classics like obviously the the naked gun trilogy yep. which i fucking love with uh and leslie nielsen's in a lot of them too yeah, like airplane and sick. naked gun <laughs> um <laughs> But they're they're so great. We also were talking about uh, Hot Shots and Hot Shots Part Two. Yeah, yeah. Um, which actually has uh, uh, what's his name, Lloyd Bridges, uh, Jeff Bridges' dad, who is another. Oh no shit. Yep, another fantastic fucking comedian. Um, and, and comedic actor. He was uh, he's the the guy in Airplane who's like, oh, it looks like I picked the wrong day to stop sniffing glue. Yeah. Oh yeah. He's yeah, yeah. amazing. Fuck, no Lloyd Lloyd Bridges, rest in peace. He was a fucking champ. Hello. Uh, I also should mention since i just said rest in peace um yes and he will be coming back up later uh we are recording this i think it was yesterday uh rush drummer and drum soloing aficionado himself uh neil pert passed away so i'm a pretty like big rush fan like i know they're not that good but i love them (laughs) like it's one of those things happy that i saw them live one time you know me too me too definitely definitely pretty 
I don't know. I feel like they helped me branch out a little bit. From that's actually like the uh, dad rocky kind of shit. That's actually what I. It's it's funny because okay, so the thing I'm just gonna jump to it now. The thing is, uh, in 2013, a Clockwork Angels tour movie was in theaters at the same time. Oh yeah, around the same time as this as Princess Kaguya. Uh, I w- that was the tour that I saw them on was the oh, Clockwork nice. Angels one. Yeah, that's so gl- I'm also very glad I did get to see that him play live, them play live. Uh, fantastic drummer, bit of a a nonce politically, but hey, you know you can't you can't all be zingers. Uh, yeah, I know he right. loved uh, Ann Rand and shit like that, but right. doesn't matter. He right. was a fantastic drummer. Right, exactly. Rest in peace, Neil. Yep, <laughs> um, cancer cancer sucks. Yeah, it really does. It's terrible. Um, but so yeah, in the, in the course of like spoof movies in general, to kind of get back to that, um, most of those movies, the biggest problem with them is that ninety nine percent of the jokes in it that aren't just the movie jokes like like haha this is funny because it's making fun of Die Hard, are like so topical for their era that like the movies just aren't watchable anymore yeah, in the future it's so it dates itself instantly yeah you know? yeah and it's it's not timeless because there is a time where people exactly. just won't get any of these right. references but i know? particularly love this one um i also you know airplane i love too because there there's Something so great about both of uh, Emilio and Sam Jackson's performance in it. They really right. like are they're both so over the top that it, it's a fun one to watch. But it is very strange in a lot of ways, too. It it covers a, like all those movies I mentioned. It covers a lot of ground <laughs> to yeah, it in the movie. Right. Yeah. That's a lot of so different type of things. It's it's kind of funny how it, I mean, it go you know, obviously the, one that sticks out is Wayne's World. Yeah. On right. List. It's like, pretty. I know exactly what scene they're talking about. But uh, OK. Yeah, it's 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 a fun movie. Too, like, so Jesus. yeah, as a as a weird movie, I suggest this one. Right, if you have yeah. a chance, Word. check it out. I would, I would watch it, especially if you love those like late '80s, early '90s action movies, because it makes fun of all of them. Yeah, so. right. But uh, speaking of movies that are full of late '80s and early '90s American Hollywood character actors, Bill Foster is an ordinary man. Where are you going? Going home. Not this way or not. Why not? Metro Rail Construction, that's why not. Living in the everyday world. I don't suppose you'd have a couple of bucks you could give me. It would really help me out. If you give me your address, I'll mail it back on us. A patient man. Can I help you? Yes, I'd like a ham and cheese omelet or wham fries. I'm sorry. We stop serving breakfast at 11.30. Who's running out of patience? I guess a change for the folks. A peaceful man. No, it's serious. I have to buy something. Who's about to be pushed? 85 cent, 85 cent. That doesn't give me enough money for the phone call. Drink, 85 cent. You pay a goal. A little too far. I stay. You mean you stole your baseball bat, but he paid for the soda? Just standing up for my rights. As a consumer. Oh, this guy's discriminating. What kind of vigilante are you? I am just trying to get home to my little girl's birthday. Give us your briefcase. If everybody will stay out of my way. Here, you want a briefcase? Here's my briefcase! Where's the briefcase, huh? Wait, 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 the briefcase. wait a minute, wait a minute. Then nobody will get hurt. Warner Brothers presents. Say, would you get off my golf course? I am. The story of an everyday guy who refused Five. to take it one more day. Sir, we got a nutcase with a bag full of guns. He's in Hollywood right now, and he's heading west. I don't know if you've noticed or not, but there's other people waiting to use the phone here. Now, if you go up against this guy, be careful. 
think it's out of order. Somebody in a white shirt and tie gunned down a phone with three blocks from the Whammy Burger. Michael Douglas. In America, we have the freedom of speech. Come on, I want to be a parking lot. I buy a ticket. The right to disagree. Robert Duvall. I know who this guy is. In a Joel Schumacher film. What are you doing to the street? We're fixing it. What the hell does it look like? See, I don't think anything's wrong with the street. I think you're just trying to justify your inflated budgets. Well, I guess so. I'll give you something to fix. What are you... Hey, Charlie! Falling down. Let's call it a day. Come on. I'm the bad guy? A tale of urban reality. Uh, the group pick this week is Falling Down. Yes. 1993 thriller film directed by Joel Schumacher and written by Ebby Rose Smith. It stars Michael Douglas as Defense, who actually is not named in the movie, but his name is William Foster. I, oh, wait, they, they no, do, they do, the they do okay, end yeah. up saying his name towards but the end. At the, um, it takes the, a while, though. Yes, it does. And in the credits, he is referred it, to Yeah, as it even defense. says Defense yeah. in the credits. Yeah, yeah. Um, and he is a divorced and, as we find out later, former defense engineer. Um, but it's kind of, I'd rather kind of explain this movie uh, via the way the plot explains yeah, it. Yeah, totally. A guy, a, a guy who looks like he he's like a California Hank Hill, is, is in traffic when he loses his shit, abandons his car, and decides he is going home. And... Yeah. Much like the beginning of the the uh, Odyssey by Homer, right. he is a man on a mission. Odysseus just wants to get home, and the film and story of Odysseus is a series of people trying to stop him from getting home. Right. Yeah. Until he eventually gets there. Um, it also stars Robert Duvall as an aging, actually uh, uh, retiring yes, police officer. Yes. Yeah. So me and Olivia were making jokes about this. This guy was like a bunch of the cop tropes. He was not only like the old cop, he was also the retiring today cop. He was like the cop who's who you are 50-50 going to live through the movie cop. Like, yep, totally. You know, all that stuff. He was the cop with the shrill wife. Like he fits so, he, yeah. he was the cop who needed to learn how to have, get like cojones and stuff like that. Yeah. And he had all of these tropes oh going God. on. Um, and uh, we also have, let's see. Uh, we got Barbara Hershey. Yep. Uh, Rachel, who was that? To Cotton. Rachel to Cotton. Yep. Uh, Tuesday Weld and uh, Frederick Forrest. And oh, and Steve Park. Steve Park. Fuck yeah. <laughs> now, you, Steve Park is my favorite. He's barely in this movie. He Really, the only thing he does is he's in that scene where they bring the Korean shop owner in, and he's like... Oh, He's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. dude, He's... I'm Japanese. Yeah, you didn't right. know that in all these years you work with me? Yeah. So Steve Park, you actually have seen him in something else. Uh, very first off, he was the voice of Mike Soriyama in the show uh, Venture Brothers. Oh, who was, okay. Yeah, he was their dead friend where they went to his funeral, and then he had these, like, Vembots that were made based on a girl that he liked from college because yeah, he yeah, went yeah. to college with them. Fuck. He's also uh, Mike in Fargo, the Asian okay. guy who she meets and he's like like really really weird and then she finds out he's like lied about half the stuff she told him about steve park fantastic comedic and uh character actor from the 90s this, yeah. like i said before this movie's full of them like that was one of my favorite parts yeah about it. i was like oh my god i these are all these actors i know only by sight 
I'm like they're in something that right, I've seen right, a million right. times from like from like between eighty five to ninety five. Yeah, just you know? random little character yeah, castings yeah. and shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um so That's great. Yeah, like this let's uh move right along. Cool, to we got the, a couple uh, taglines yeah, tag here. here. Um The Adventures of an Ordinary Man at War with the Everyday World. Yeah. Sure. It's very wordy. He certainly <laughs> is at war with someone. <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ. Um, and then a tale of urban reality. I mean, I guess. Yeah, I think that's kind of like fabricating it, being a little a, bit, like, yeah, a little bit. But I get, I get where they're going with it, and we'll, we'll talk about that when we get into yeah. the um, movie it, itself. It had a twenty-five million dollar budget, and it was a pretty good box office success. Yeah. It made a little over forty million dollars, mm-hmm. so that's we'll chalk that up as a win. It was a pretty big success for Douglas too, because like you have to remember. Uh, yeah, it's we, weird. He's one of those guys, though. It's weird to think of him now because for most of our lives, you know, for you, our younger listeners, uh, we're like he was like, you know, a established actor. But his dad is Kirk fucking Douglas, one of the greatest, most fucking, you know, one of the best actors of all time. Yeah. You know, right. and so like the, he was still kind of in that phase of trying to prove that himself. Yeah. yeah. So this was, I think, one of those movies that really showed his range. Uh, and around the same time, you also had the uh, Wall Street, which is another great uh, movie where he really shows his yep. like range and, and ability as an actor and stuff. So like. This was this was really popular movie, and this was one I remember like seeing at the video store, in, you know, when I was a kid, and always wanting to rent it, but I never actually saw it until like probably I was like in my mid twenties, right. and uh, and so, but I've known about it for so long. But I always like it was like, in my mind as a kid, I was like, oh, what is he just like go like it's like a guy goes crazy and starts shooting people, and stuff. right? Yeah, it's like <laughs> some action movie, yeah, like yeah. there's a bit of action in it. But yeah, it was pretty well acclaimed. It was uh, nominated for the Palme d'Or. Yep, that it was. year yeah. it won Best Picture in what is it? Uh, it won an Edgar Award. Yeah, for Best yep. Screenplay. So, so it it definitely yeah, did those okay. Are pretty, yeah. pretty solid awards to uh, it be has, in contention for. Yeah. It has a 74% uh, critic score on Rotten Tomatoes and an 84% audience score. Jonathan Rosenbaum, a Chicago reader, says, By the end, the overall emptiness of the conception becomes fully apparent. Time Out says, Something sometimes funny, sometimes touching, and certainly unnerving. Yeah. And definitely sometimes funny. There's a couple of scenes that I would like that's that are played for comedy on purpose. 100%. You know? Yeah. yeah. Um, user John D calls it way too much violence, gratuitous violence, which I disagree with. There's this is not as violent as I. It's not even as violent as I remembered it. I remembered it Dude, being there's much like more hardly violent. any any like people there's, killed. And other the than, one like, the when, shootout there. Well, yeah, there's like the shootout. There's also the 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 drive by where the guys crash. And oh stuff. yeah, but yeah. even that well, is, that's that, yeah, it's that, not even that it's not gratuitous out. though. Yeah, you no. know, not at all. The only one and, is like uh, that Nazi getting killed and like yeah, but even that's, that's like not even that violent. No, it's I not. mean maybe by 1993 the stab, standards. Like the stab is, but like yeah, other than that, yeah. it's like really not bad. No, and uh, user Daniel H raves es hatte ein Filmsin konen konen in dem jetzt sozialer Großstadtwohner werde finden konnte. So he wrote a whole uh, review in German. We he said. That. It could have been a film in which every city dweller could find himself. Sorry how much I butchered that German, but... Hey, you did uh, pretty good for I, what my yeah. honors for AP5 yeah. German can yeah. remember. So he said this is a film where anybody could be this guy, which I disagree with, but I, I like the, the sentiment, yeah. I guess. Um, I suppose so. Yeah. yeah. It came out uh, around Army of Darkness, Groundhog Day, 
uh, Dead Alive, Strictly Ballroom, uh, our weird movie of the week, Loaded Weapon 1, yep. uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3, The Turtles Are Back in Time. Which is just the tagline. For that. Oh, and yeah, it came out the same day as uh, yes. El Mariachi. El Mariachi. Yeah. yeah so actually, pretty good day. Those were the only two films that came out that day, so good ones uh, if you're going out that day. What did you say? The ta- that, that turtle thing is the tagline? Yeah. That's, I guess that makes the sense. I was going to say that is a weird name for a movie. Right. Well, everybody always calls that's it. One of the, is that one of the live action ones, right? Is yeah, that yeah, the, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's, that's, the, that's the, like the original yeah. trilogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, so you have the first one, Secret of the Ooze. And then yeah, yeah. This one, which is usually referred to as Turtles in Time, but it's it's just Tur- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3. It's not right. actually called Turtles in Time, but it is the one where they go back in time. Yeah, so fair enough. Turtle, Turtles <laughs> in Time was the fantastic arcade and SNES and Sega game uh, where you went back in time. It was basically just like Sunset Overdrive, but with the Ninja Turtles in it. But right, right, right. It was fucking sick. I'm so cool with that. Yeah. Music was pretty dope. You, dude, okay. Dude, this is a jam. The USA. So a new thing I want to start doing is picking which one's the best. And so I'm just going to say this week we already have, I think this one's the best. Oh, yeah, but dude. Hip Hop yeah. Hooray by Naughty Hip, by Nature. Yep. I couldn't remember. I was like, I don't remember what that song is until I put it on. And I was like, oh, hey. yeah. Hip Hop oh. Hooray. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's such a good. fucking jam. Um, yeah, fantastic. And then, uh, in the UK was uh, Why Can't I Wake Up With You by Take That. I made it about 30 seconds. It was like a ballad. I didn't even look it up because I looked at the name of it and I was like, no, nope, we're like not doing this. It was like a slow jam, but like. Like that starts with like a two-minute piano intro with yeah. like I'm so sad that you left or I left I'm now I'm sleeping and now you're not there yeah, like fuck it's, that oh. and sadly we missed out on both of them we missed out on I'm Every Woman by Whitney Houston oh. in the case of the USA it was the single before the Naughty Night by Nature song and then in the case of uh, the UK it was number two fuck yeah I was like wow oh so. my god that's such a good song <laughs> right? man. Um, and in, so in video games, uh, we had a couple of big games that came out this year, including Star Fox, Virtua Fighter, and Ridge Racer, as well as Mortal Kombat 2 for the arcade and uh, Kirby's Adventure. And this is also the year that Nintendo uh, released the small redesigned NES. Um which allowed, which is the one where you could put the cartridges in on the top and oh, had like yeah. a big red thing on the side and mm-hmm. stuff. And uh, I had that for a long time. I, I don't know where the hell it is. It's somewhere in my house, right. but yeah, it doesn't work anymore. Oh, it doesn't? But, yeah. Fuck, I was going to say it definitely does. Those things are pretty They're durable. awesome, yeah. And um, so you I added this put, one, yeah. yeah. I put this in too because I figured with the video game stuff. That threw me off. I was like, wait, did I? Oh, you must yeah. just put that in Yeah, there. so um, in the Tony Hawk game, Tony Hawk America's Wasteland, Oh um, yeah, that's one of my favorite ones in the in like the later series of them. You know, from like Underground, Underground Two, yeah, all yeah. those. Um, team Bam or Team Hawk? What was that? Team Bam or Team Hawk? Team Hawk. Team Hawk. Yeah. I'm Team Hawk. Yeah. <laughs> I'm Team Hawk. I'm Team Hawk. I'm a nerd. I, I like CK. I like CKY as much as the oh, next yeah, guy. Yeah, but yeah, like, no, I love CKY. <laughs> Bernadette. Yeah, the Bernadette. <laughs> <laughs> um, in that game, there's a lot of like cutscenes and stories, and it takes place in the same sort of area as our movie does, um, as Fallen Down. There's a cutscene in that movie where it literally recreates the. There's like this iconic scene oh, in Fallen Down, one of the best scenes. Yeah, where he like shoots this bazooka, like this kid's like telling him how to shoot a bazooka because yes. he doesn't know how to do it. And uh, he thinks he's filming a movie, but in reality, uh, defense is just fucking trying to shoot a bazooka at a construction 
for reasons that we'll dig into when we yeah, talk yeah, about yeah. the movie more. Cause that's because because this movie is essentially they live without sunglasses. Yeah, right. <laughs> and uh, and so he just does that, and like part of the construction site blows up. And they recreated that scene like completely yeah. in a cut scene yep. of Tony Hawk. And the guy, like, his name's not defense or anything, but he looks just like him, has that like iconic block haircut, and yep. then walks away with a duffel bag. Exactly. Yeah. Full of guns, I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. Jesus so, Christ. That's awesome. I barely remember that game, but I do remember playing it. And that was the one where you had to like take over the world, essentially. Like, you went from like place to place spreading like. Tony Hawk's religion of skateboarding, essentially. So, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. It was pretty great. Um, I just remember that was, I think that was the one where, like, you, yeah, you'd make, like, your your own character, and so, like, as you went through the game, you'd get new, like, cool outfits and shoes and boards and, and shit like yeah, that. Yeah, you were just getting, like, richer and yeah. richer. <laughs> it was, like, Fable meets Tony Hawk, yeah. essentially. <laughs> like, I bet you could, like, buy property in the game. <laughs> So <laughs> there's a lot of fun maps. And we, shit al- too. we also have some great toys. 1993 was a great year for uh, Tiger Electronics games. Do you remember Tiger Electronics games? Sounds familiar. Is their logo like a, a scratch mark? I think it was. Yeah. Okay, so they I were think. the little like games that it was like one game on a little plastic system. And oh, it, yeah. 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 They yeah, were like yeah. g- they had like game and watch style, like shitty ass fucking graphics, like yeah. a calculator, basically. Yeah. That was the number one toy. It was an Aladdin version, Aladdin, like the Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tiger Electronics game. Hell yeah. It sold for $30 a piece. An exciting handheld game based on Disney's Aladdin movie. Yeah. How exciting. Dude, (laughs) those are the worst. I remember uh, I didn't really have too many of them, but a couple of my friends did, and my cousin had a few. And, um, like,. I remember just being like, I don't even know what's going on. When yeah. I turn it on, I'd be like, "What is that?" That became like a what huge do do? gimmick for toys too. Like those like single game battery yep. powered handheld like systems. Yeah, like, exactly. Like, the, like McDonald's did a big run of them. Like, yep. and I and I feel like yeah, then they turned into like tic tac toe and eat simpler shit and yeah, stuff like that. But right. yeah, essentially they were just like calculators. Yeah, you right, know, exactly. with like a game sort of on it. Hey kids, now you can unplug the arcades and put the Tiger Challenge in the palm of your hand. Spider-Man. Hobgoblin has taken hostages and set fires. Can you climb with Spider-Man up 99 floors through five stages of action? X-Men. Five stages of adventure let you play Wolverine with claws against the magnetic force field and firebolts of Magneto 5. So now when you turn on a tiger, you can turn loose the excitement. Because once you've held on to a tiger, you may never want to let it go. Batteries not included, each sold separately. Yeah, other toys huge. Yeah, big time. 1993, number two toy in 1993. Somehow this was number two. I don't know if this site was wrong. I mean, I bet the Aladdin thing like popped up just for a minute, right. and then the well, Beanie Baby. Yeah, like, I feel like everything was probably ev- oh, with, <laughs> with. Yeah, no, that's yeah. fine. It's Beanie with Babies. Beanie babies. Yeah. yeah, you probably um, figured. Well, it's also like Beanie Babies. The height of Beanie Baby mania was like 97, 98. You yeah. Know? <coughs> it totally coincides with like the. The like war and wrestling. Yeah, right. Yeah, I mean, Beanie Babies are people literally thought they were going to like build their future on those things. I want it. I want it. I want a Beanie Baby. Mommy, please get it. Get me a Beanie Baby. Want it? I want it. I want a Beanie Baby now, 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 now. And, like they were going to be this huge financial savior. Oh yeah, my um, this woman who like babysat me and my sister when I was younger bought like a shitload of them. 
She had like a whole like cabinet in her house. That yeah, was full of fucking Beanie Babies. And like, granted, some of them are like very expensive to this day. Oh like, yeah, reselling of certain like specific like like the two thousand bear like th- they made specific right, ones right. for all these holidays and shit. I the, think the new Millennium one is probably like fucking hundreds of dollars. Yeah, I think I still have one somewhere. I had like one a Beanie Baby. I didn't really care about them that much. So like, I mean, I was like. A kid still. I mean, in 1998, I would have been, you know, 11 or 12. So, like, <coughs> in 93, I was, like, not even aware of them yet. I don't believe. Right. But they would become, like, yeah, the biggest thing in the world. Oh, yeah. So, a there's a bunch of really shitty condition ones <laughs> are the ones that I was talking about, the year 2000 one. Like, shitty condition ones on eBay for, like, $200. Jesus Christ. It's called dude. the Tie 2K. Beanie oh, baby. yeah, I remember it. Yeah. It was a whole thing. Dude, yeah. how fucking crazy. 2K, so, dude. That's so a we great should, gimmicky name. <laughs> so we should mention, before we get too deep into this movie, which is all about how fucking crazy it was now 30 years ago. Well, a little bit less than 30, but still. Yeah. A long fucking time ago. Yep. <laughs> um, how crazy it is that now here we are in 2020 and, like, the same fucking shit is going on yeah and and like i don't know it's just so interesting to look back at like that time like you know the early 2000s and and like just how fucking crazy that whole millennium like y2k yeah nuts people, like, stuff was genuinely thought that shit but the fact that now 20 years later people are still just as fucking dumb and are believe all this and you know now we got all this shit going on in iran and like yeah, there's a lot of yeah. things that people are so dumb and numb to everything happening yeah. around them it's, it's crazy man and people just read regurgitated right. shit and think that ugh. so you already texted me about this movie and you said i'm just gonna throw you under the bus you said you don't <laughs> think you like this movie yeah <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, um, man. <laughs> no, but it, that's that no, I was is. I get to it. I, it's, I don't know, man. Yeah, it's complicated. Yeah, that's like my there's, relationship there's some with texture this movie. to this movie that I really like. Uh, conceptually, like I like the anti Odyssey. Like he's not your. He's not a victim. He's mm-hmm. a villain. Right. You know that like that is something that. you need to know when you're watching right. this movie. And if you think that he's a victim of circumstance in this movie. You're wrong. Right. <laughs> he's not. Right. He, he's a villain. He's a bad man. Exactly. Um, I I like a lot of. Uh, I don't know. I like I like the cop story end of it. Obviously, like that that stuff always kind of ropes me. And that one detective that's right, always getting right. clues on and figuring it all out. Yep. Just the way this was laid out and the way like it's kind of like it's kind of racially tone deaf. Oh, it's com- like completely <laughs> like the whole time. But but what the thing is, I'll okay so. It is, but by 1993 standards, I think it's actually ahead of its time. But for for big Hollywood, yeah. you know, um, because because like there, there's a lot of stuff about the plot that I think is presented. It I feel like the movie is presented in a it's presenting uh, its its pieces in a very very harsh way, yeah, purposefully to to make you uncomfortable the whole time. You know, I've already seen the movie several times, and watching it again, I was so uncomfortable, yeah. even knowing what was going to happen, because it, it wants you to feel that way. It wants you to feel the racial tension. You, you, this movie was being shot 
when the 1992 LA riots happened. Yeah, literally disrupted filming. Yep, exactly. <laughs> so, so like this movie was coming out at a time where there was real. It was asking real questions, and so I will give it that. But yes, by 30 years later standard, it is very tone deaf in certain parts. Yeah. And I feel like the times where it nails it, it doesn't go far enough with it. Right. Like, for instance, my personal favorite part of the movie, which I don't think they expanded on enough, is when, you know, uh, so so basically, that's as we already said, you know, this guy freaks out one morning and just leaves his car and now he's headed home. And and everything that's trying to get in his way is is like the harshness of the reality of the city yeah. that he is not aware of because he is a white middle class guy who had had and we think at the time has a job for a defense contractor you know he makes good money and everything yeah i mean he just strikes you off as this like old older white guy yearning for like right. his old america when, you know and because of the narrative we don't know so much about him until later in the yeah, film. Yeah, it all you unfolds know? to yeah. you. But like the reason I said that whole villain thing is because, like, I and, and I agree with you it being a bit, like, ahead of its time to an extent, but I feel like its tone deafness is in not highlighting some of those things. Like you said, like, right. the, the development of some of those ideas of the racial inequalities. Right. And like, well, yeah, because I was going to say, the scene that I was talking about is the scene where he sees a black guy who is protesting outside of like a loan office and he's wearing literally the same outfit. He's got a white shirt, same exact tie. Mm -hmm. Af now, this is after Michael Douglas has been involved in a killing and a, uh, first an assault, then a killing at, kind of after a drive-by that, that it was attempting to hit him, which hurt other people. Yep. And now he has upgraded a weapon several times. He's walking around with a bag of guns and he's already killed someone, I think, at this point too. And so at the very least, he's oh, he's shot up a telephone booth. At least he's, yeah, he's yeah. causing lots of trouble. And literally, the cops are like a white guy down there. Nah, that's got to be bullshit. And they're not even doing anything yeah, about it. Right. This one black guy protests and the cops come down and arrest him. And I loved the parallel because this dude is like and, and literally wearing the same. Yeah, outfit. he's wearing the same yeah. outfit. And he pulled the car pulls up and he's like, remember me or something like that. And he you know drives off. The problem is, is that that never really comes back into play in the film, and that's like really dropping the ball to me. It's like you had such a great idea there, where it's like a white guy is able to literally walk around with Uzis and like shoot up a phone booth, and literally nothing's happening. But a black guy protests outside of a business, and the cops are there to arrest him immediately. Right. You know, like, and so that. But that's also the problem with so many. Like, that's so on the nose, and that's the problem that the movie runs into. So many of its moments of social commentary are just like yep yep you're like a fifth grader who just read fucking 1984 i get it yeah, you know it's right. like yeah, oh my exactly. god society bro you yeah know? it's like did you know yeah that, like people are racist <laughs> it's like, like yeah, joel, joel yeah, schumacher's like did. damn babe i just found out about racism that yeah, sucks so yeah sad. <laughs> yeah that shit sucks. <laughs> it's so like, true oh yeah my god. but yeah that's so that's like i feel like for a lot of the movie and i i didn't like I thought it was evidently clear to me, at least, that he's the villain. You know, well, once once it unfurls, you look back and you're like, okay, he's not a victim; he's a villain. Uh, Bro, like, like I said before, they're doing the same shit they did 30 years ago. It's the Joker. Yeah, fair. it depends yeah. on how much of an edge lord you are, whether or not you yeah, think he's the like, good guy. Think he's like a victim, and I'm like, oh 
No. Well, I like, feel like, you know, at the end of the film, the character literally says, I'm the bad guy. And that's supposed to be like a signal for any any like little like teenage kid wearing like a fucking fedora with a katana. Who's yeah, like, <laughs> who's like, who's like, oh, no, this guy is still cool. He's the good guy. It's like, no, he's the bad guy. Yeah, he's right. the bad guy. Yeah. And then him saying no. that, they're like, oh, well, he didn't know. Like, so like that was that, that was one part of it that I really like the fact that in so many movies from the time, so like again to explain the the plot quickly, he what he is going home for is to he's going to his ex wife who has a restraining order against him's house on the day of his daughter's birthday. He's not supposed to do this. He is br- stepping over a boundary, obviously a legal boundary. He's also bringing weapons. He's also going to kill them. He is. He never says that he's going to, but that is the like, w- you know, kind of our obvious like downward yeah. spiral we're watching, right? Yeah. So when it gets to that point, it's like he, he is like Robert uh, 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 Duvall literally has to say to him like, "What do you think's going to happen? You were going to kill them." And he's like, "No, I wasn't going to do he's that." He's like, you "Yeah, know? you were. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, you fucking yeah. were." So I loved how it took that story, which so many times in the '90s you had those stories about like dad who just wants to see his kids and the mom's a mean bitch, you know. So I liked right. how it was like, "No, this guy's wrong. He is sub- like, yes." He should still, you know, it's great that he still wants to be there for his daughter and yada, yada, yada. He still loves her. But guess what? He is not allowed to be around them. He should respect his ex-wife's wishes. Absolutely. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so, like, again, like, and, I mean, he literally, the scene where he kisses her is just so repulsive. The movie oh, wants yeah, you to that feel that like, way. Yeah, though. that made me so angry. So, like, like, that's why I thought it was interesting how you said, I don't know if i like or dislike this movie like the way that you said i was like yeah that's how i feel too yeah i think i kind of like it like i you said you wouldn't watch again i would but like i think that that's a part of it it's a movie that makes me feel so uncomfortable and i'm watching that i'm literally like mm, i don't know i don't yeah. know this movie i mean if i do rewatch it it's gonna be in a while yeah you know, i'm definitely not i have no intention to rewatching that soon because like you know so in our in our story here like he keeps uh, one of the things i did love that it's like very similar, obviously, to its uh, source material. The Odyssey is how like these things, these things get thrown in his path in a very weird way. Like there's one scene where like it's right after he gets the guns, and then he's like walking down the street, and he walks up to these like construction workers. It's not the one with the bazooka, but yeah, it's yeah, before yeah, earlier, that. Yeah. And the guy's like, "Hey, buddy, you can't go this way." And he's just like, "But I have to go that way." It's like such a weird. You know, and that's what we're talking about, like, anachronistic, how very much, like, myth, this film is, like, really mythical feeling, you yeah. know, where it's, like, he's this man on a mission, and nothing will stand in his way. He keeps upgrading his weapon throughout and getting stronger, like, almost like yeah. he's, like, Odysseus, you know. At one point, he gets captured by a witch who is our, our horrible Nazi who my uh my my joke for the day is that he says the uh the the race you know not sorry he says the um the other f word uh more times than yeah. a bonfire um yeah a lot of lot of like r- stuff like that is what we're talking about the, the uncomfortable nature of the film that this character comes in yeah. who is so and it's not repulsive done tastefully it's, no you know not but that I think not that there necessarily is a tasteful way to have a character right. like that but, but I think but, that there, uh, like here's the thing. That is, it's it should be presented, and it should be absorbed. I guess I mean in in how it is meant to be shown. Yeah. Okay. Like I understand someone being triggered 
by stuff like that, by being triggered by that word. And like, I get that. Right. But I also feel like it's like the, the age old question about like wrestling. Like when did rest, when does wrestling go over the line? And when people would talk about like, Oh, a wrestler, they said or did this and that's over the line. One of the things that they almost never bring up is whether or not that wrestler or in the case of a movie or that character is supposed to be a good guy or a bad guy. And that to me changes a lot of like what the message is. That that character as repulsive and awful as it is is supposed to make you feel that way. You're not supposed to be like, "Oh great, he met up with a fucking Nazi." Like you're supposed to be like, "Oh no." And that's the the balance where Michael Douglas is like, "No, no, no. I'm the good guy, dude. I'm not like you." And right. he's like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." And he's true. like, "No, you're he literally just does. like me." Yeah, he yep. genuinely has no idea that so he's like, I understand how people be like, okay, that word shouldn't be used, but like it's in in the context of art, should we really, if we were gonna put a character like that in the story, they should be authentic. And that should be shown to you in a way that doesn't make you feel comfortable. I'm sorry, this movie's not supposed to make you feel comfortable. It's supposed to make you feel what reality makes you feel when yeah. you're confronted with it, you know? And so so much now is as great as it is that like you know w- you know people can can have their their safe spaces and shit like that creates bubbles that are just fucking you know you know you're, you're or what would they call it the sounding box thing where it's just like you're not getting anything but your opinion said back yes yeah right to, right right you know so like i think that that sort of stuff i understand where people are coming from but i also feel like again if the character is supposed to be an awful character that is supposed to say something about society and about the the greater world of 1993 that we're talking about, then I think that 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 is a good thing. I also felt uncomfortable watching that scene. Yeah. But that's, the director wants you to. Totally, yeah. And there's a great quote that we have here uh, in an interview that um, Abby Rose Smith said, the writer, writer, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was like right before the movie came out and... It is, uh, to me, even though the movie deals with complicated urban issues, it's really about just one thing, uh, one basic thing. The main character represents the old power structure of the U.S. that has now become archaic and hopelessly lost. And that way, I guess you could say, defense is like Los Angeles. For both of them, it's a just or die yep. time. Oh, yeah. That is 100% of what we were just talking about. Right. Is that it's just old, old archaic thoughts that defense is like bringing to light throughout his his odyssey mm-hmm. and it's just constantly getting shown why it's not right why it's not right and then the nazi comes in and he shows him why that's not right by killing him yep. <laughs> and yep. it, it's you know just that's a great right great because well, also what i think so important about that is that again we're confronted with a choice as an audience whether or not it's a good or a bad thing that he kills that guy. I mean, obviously yeah. it's somewhat self-defense because the guy's gonna kill him, but like at the same time, it's sort of executiony, and it's like, well, like his defense. You know, he basically proves that he is the same. You know, he may yeah. not be saying you know the f word a whole bunch, and he may not be openly wearing Nazi insignia and all that shit. He may not be a skinhead, but. That doesn't mean he's actually different from this other dude. You know, he's his violent temper has so 
taken over him that like i mean right at I, I don't know if it's right before or right after that he fucking goes and and oh no it is right before because the guy listened to it on his police scanner he goes in fucking pulls yeah. an uzi when he can't get a breakfast yeah oh my god you know you have to yeah. if, if you don't watch this whole movie watch that you scene. have to watch that yeah. scene so michael douglas goes into a fast food place yeah like to, a mcdonald's like, yeah basically like a mcdonald's i think it's like a real chain whatever it is it might be not i think it knows. was at the time it might have been i think I it was i don't remember but he goes in and he walks up to the counter and he's like i'd like to order some breakfast and then the person's like all right well we stopped serving breakfast like we're serving lunch now and he's like what yep <laughs> he's like just absolutely yeah. loses it, it escalates from there pulls he out an the uzi points yeah. it at these people accidentally shoots it in the roof because yep. the trigger's too yep. sensitive basically pulls a gun on them because he's like in my, right. you know, in my day, we, you know, what the fuck? Like, this but didn't then, happen. But then a- after, a f- like, not even a minute, after, like, 20 seconds, realizes, like, that he's made a mistake. So it calms down, starts to, like, chit-chat with yeah, people. He's trying to, like, joke you know, with people. Really? Like, then it says, oh, you know what? Never mind. I don't, I'll just give me lunch. <laughs> like, it's, it's so, so good. It's, it's funny, though. Like, it's yeah. one of those scenes that, like, I think is supposed to be played for comedy. Totally, totally. Um, I d- I'm not gonna read this whole thing, but yeah. I did want to mention this too. Uh, the use of like heat in this movie yes. is awesome. I was I kind of was reading ahead here, and that's what made me think of this particular scene we just described. Yeah, is because of how sweaty he is in the scene. Yeah, so, yeah well, so on. that is like a through the throughout the movie that is a thing. You know, it keeps cutting to Michael Douglas, like just a straight shot of him, and uh, yeah, they're, and uh, it's like a straight shot of him just sweating. Uh, and even at the very beginning of the movie, the the reason he freaks out and leaves his car is there's this big frantic montage of him in the car, in traffic, dead stop. It's showing kids in these other cars, yeah, and it just keeps cool cutting to the, the never-ending traffic, and it cuts to there's billboards. Like, and it's just this really frantic scene, and it's clearly in the middle of a heat wave because the camera's doing like the, the wobbly heat thing. Uh, yeah. His AC shits the bed. And he's like sweating in the car, and that's when he just freaks out and is like, "Fuck this! Right. I'm leaving." Die Hard with a Vengeance is is happening at the same yeah. time in a different part of L.A. <laughs> <laughs> but so yeah, so like I mean, you're that's your first thing. Yeah. Is, but you don't know anything about this character. You know that it's too hot. It's something's right. going on, and, and he's leaving. And he. But the other interesting thing about that is how in throughout all that he never sheds his uniform so to speak he never like uh, he never loosens his tie yeah never strips yeah. down he's like very clean cut like I, pr- I, business professional guy one of the things i do i will say about this movie as as like wishy-washy as i am on how i feel about it is i am not wishy-washy on how i feel about defense as a character i think th- my biggest problem with it is is where the movie goes with certain scenes yes. but the character is iconic and stands on its own just because it is so like emblematic of of like a an, it's it's an american style of like like old school psycho conservative you yeah, know yeah i mean everything about him the briefcase yep. the pens in the pocket like his haircut is that was a whole big thing like the the costume oh, designer yeah. made a point to like pick that yeah. specific haircut he's just like a patrick bateman from an earlier era right in a lot of ways yeah. you know and 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 so like i think that the character is really really good and like we've said a couple times the idea of like the script in in like if i had read the script i would have been like yeah let's do this man like i get what you're doing because i think what is as uncomfortable and as like maybe like out of 
and, you know, uncouth as some, as the stuff in it is, it it reminds me of films that took risks like that, like say Apocalypse Now, where it was like, let's write a bunch of scenes about what it's really like in the inner city, and then kind of just weave this character through them. And again, very much like a myth, where it's like you're exp- he's exploring layers of yeah, the city Yeah, he's just like stumbling well. across real life. It's, right, not, it's right. not like these scenes are being created for him. It's like he is being thrown into these scenes that already exist. When also think about it like this, again, to bounce it off of this idea of the Odyssey. Like, So the Odyssey is the story of Odysseus, who is in Troy at the end of the Iliad, coming back to Greece, right? So he f- starts in a foreign land, much like how defense starts in like we'll say you know the latino community essentially uh, you know in like he's he's in with the foreigners the foreigners attack him he leaves that area and as he progresses through the story he gets closer to greece quote unquote or white people you know and so through that he eventually ends up at you know what you know, the uh, uh, I guess like the Southern Poverty Law Center watch list of where, you know, of the white community. Yeah. And that's something that he struggles with. So that to me, that scene is more about like we're the same because we're both white. You can't you cannot break yourself away from that. You can act like you're Mr. Nice Guy and you're not this and you're not that. But you actually are. And like that's a ver- I think there's some strong messages in there and they're presented in a way that is just like here look at this too bad if you don't like it. yeah definitely so like i like that aspect of it but i still don't know if that means that like it's like oh great well like you know you could say that about tons of movies and i don't necessarily think that that means that i want to watch it yeah a whole it bunch. doesn't yeah it doesn't like escalate its greatness mm. you know it almost fits closer with like horror movies in that way you yeah know? there's a lot of uh a lot of weird horror movie aspects of this that i yep. realized you know the phone calls that he kept making yeah like, yeah like, that's such a classic like horror trope uh-huh. which is him being like i'm coming like i'm I'm gonna be there like yeah. i'm gonna be there and she's yeah. panicking the whole it's time so creepy and there is like a good amount i don't know they they ju- they jump away from him enough too to like not make it seem like the side characters right. are forced. Well, yeah, because we didn't really talk a lot about Robert Duvall's character yet. Yeah, he's so, so he, like we said, he's the retired right. cop, and he's the one who, he's in the beginning of the movie, he's actually behind uh, defense and traffic. Yeah. You know, he's like yep. right there when he leaves. He sees him leave. Yeah, yeah he sees him leave. And uh, there's a whole little scene there. A very funny scene where they yeah, him, like another motorist and a cop who pulled up, a, like a bike cop. He's like, cop. I'm a cop. Like, yeah. this that. You're lucky yeah. you caught me today. And it's my last it's, day. Like, it's like in the other, I love the part where he's like, hey, I'm from, like, he like pulls out his badge to show him. And then the other guy pulls out like his business card. And he's like, hey, I'm from, I like oh, work yeah, here. What did he <laughs> say? I forget what company, like what job it, was, it is. It's it was funny. so fucking funny. Yeah. yeah. Like there's little moments like that that they really, they're. Em- I think they're also emblematic of like, that city this movie is very la yeah. so that's another thing that says like a positive about it it really captured where it was coming from yeah from all aspects you know like it and and it doesn't want it doesn't like segregate people away from each other like a great example of of what i think this message the, one of the messages of this movie was was the kids that you mentioned earlier so there's like the little black kid who like runs him through how to use the, the the bazooka but when you see the group of kids they're like a multicultural bunch of kids who are just hanging out right and i love how the movie like is already seeing that that are like the next generation already knows that all this racism and all these like border bullshit that we throw in front of us is like really bullshit you know and i think also going back to that idea of where he starts he starts in a world divided by territory 
you know so he starts and it's like hey we're here you got to get out of here the gang members right and then he's like oh i get it this is your territory i'm on your turf your pissing ground whatever yeah it's, it's so interesting oh, how it's like a, it's about that though it's about breaking down those territorial borders well yeah and that know? that's kind of brings it a good another tie to the odyssey too of basically there's like these different levels and different locations and where he needs yep, to be yep. and all of them are very different uh like settings even though it's all within one town yeah so each obstacle he faces he's in a completely different terrain and different exactly. area yep. even all the way down to the end where like the pier being the final spot yep. it feels like that is like it being the pinnacle of the movie and being on this big pier out on mm-hmm. the water in, like, the nice part right, of Venice right. uh, in fucking, yeah, yeah. like, <laughs> the neighborhood. Nowadays, everything's the nice part of Venice except for the actual boardwalk yeah. like, <laughs> during the day. But, like, yeah, no. Um, I do I do think that's also the, uh, that that point in the movie gets the award for dumbest choice, uh, character choice made by a character. With the squirt gun? Uh, n- no, no. Before that, when the wife, successfully gets away from him when he tries to get to the house. Like and she then like, goes to a corner. And then goes to a place where she's cornered. Yeah. Yeah. Like, and that's also the place that she, like, likes to go the most. That yeah, obviously like might the be... the most obvious yeah, place yeah. to go. Yeah. And it's like, it'd be one thing if it was just that, but the fact that it's also literally a pier with one way in, one way out, and now you're in the middle of the fucking ocean. Yeah. So in order to get away from him, you'd have to jump into the ocean with off your of, kid with your kid off of a dock that's gotta be i'm gonna say 30 40 50 feet up in the yeah, air probably, so I'd like say upwards of like yeah, 50 you yeah, might not even sure. fucking survive the fall yeah. so like right dumbest dumbest character choice but i do you uh, but it, it, it's like how can you pass up that great joel schumacher-esque yeah fucking totally ending? yeah He's, that is so it. on brand for him and then, like, I do love. I the love the final scene. The final scene, I think, is the strongest. Dude, the whole Robert Duvall monologue of him walking up there and like, like talking down the mm-hmm. situation is, dude, fucking it's awesome. So badass. Yeah, he nails. So it. Sick. he is so good. I fucking love so Robert good. Duvall. Yes. He's the man. Me too. And particularly that that because for the rest of the movie he's fine, but he's not like exceptional. Yeah, he's likable That's the when whole he turned, time, yeah, which is he, great. But the end because well, really it's it's the whole ending part because his. Like we said earlier, his whole character line is like he starts out as as like being kind of he's a neutered cop. Yeah. He's, he's been working a desk job. He's old. Everybody kind of makes fun of him. They walk all over him. and He just lets people, his wife, his boss, you know, the captain, his, his other, uh, you know, the other cops and detectives. They all just like walk all over him. And he just is like, <laughs> and so it was weird because normally he's not like that in his movies. And then. His so his growth is very similar too because you have to remember not only as we said he's following, uh, but he also is on a journey home. You know he's going to retire and his wife wants him to come home. Yeah, that's and a- so he's <laughs> also on his way home, and defenses you know rampage kind of rekindles the fire that he had when he was a younger detective. Yeah. And so his whole arc ends with him becoming a badass. And once he becomes a badass and he starts like going around and investigating and then they have the party and he like fucking punches the yeah, cop who's making fun of him. Yeah. Face, yeah. He says, he tells the captain to go fuck himself on yeah, live on TV. TV. And he says he's going to still be a cop pretty much. Yep, and he decides he's not going to retire. I cracked up when he yeah. said that. And I was like, I don't yes. know, man. You just punched a guy at your precinct and then said, fuck you to the... <laughs> Like I don't know if you're gonna remain a cop, right? <laughs> also, there's the questionable. The, there was one scene that really didn't work for me is when he like 
tells off his wife. And like Olivia was like, uh, after it, when he's like, he's basically like, like shut, shut up, up and have dinner for me. Yeah. And I was like, eh, it leaves the skin on the chicken. It's like, it like, she was kind of being a bitch to him every time she called. Like, I get, I get why it makes sense that like she should feel that way because she just like is afraid that he, you know, this is the last day and there's that whole like stigma and curse around like a cop like losing his life on his last day on the job and yeah. shit. But like, and I will say the movie does a great job of like, Keep they keep bringing that up. There's so much foreshadowing. The movie literally acts like he's gonna get killed. Yeah, which he doesn't. Spoiler alert. But um, yeah, when it shows him <laughs> reaching for his gun and he doesn't have it. Yeah. As soon as he gave the gun up, I knew it. I right. was like, he's. That's gonna right. be a scene later where he reaches for a gun. So that he doesn't so have. let's talk about that last scene because it is my favorite scene in the movie. And it, personally, for me, I'm gonna go ahead. I'm not gonna give my score yet, but I am gonna go ahead and say that I do like this movie, and it is saved because of the ending. Yeah. This movie, if it didn't have a good, tight, strong ending, I wouldn't have liked it. Yeah. So Defens gets to gets to the end of his journey. You know, he yes. says he's gonna go home. He he gets there. So he gets so to yeah. His after house. killing Nazi boy, he steals like an army man shirt. He gets chased a little bit more by the cops. Yeah. yeah. Then he eventually situation. So then he yes. gets home. <laughs> so a then, golf course incident. Yeah. It's that one's brutal yeah i was like and, and i was like oh now you're just heartless and then like, a mean old yeah mean old rich guy has a heart attack in front of him yeah but actually like, if you listen carefully later on there's a radio thing where you find out he didn't die oh really yeah you find out that he's he's in he's in critical condition but he is still alive oh, okay yeah. uh but so he gets so he gets to the end of his journey you know and the last scene is built up on that he runs into the house and she runs out and like we said he went to the pier right and then that's when all of our yeah, characters he, like, are finally on screen he together takes like a point. he takes a second to like watch home videos oh yeah that and that's cre- what that's tips creepy him off. too yeah, yeah. He, like where he's yelling at his ex-wife to like have the baby sit on the ride and, he, and the baby's like, like crying yeah he's like just do it <laughs> like, yeah. and, and it's almost like his he almost realizes there that he's the bad guy like he's like oh look it shows Michael Douglas shows discernible, oh, you're like, oh, yeah. man, I was bad yeah. on his face, you know? Yeah. So this is finally when, like, the three, pretty much the three plot lines that you've been following are all at a meeting. Converging. Point, you know, yeah. yeah, it converges all right here. Um, he defends, finds his wife and his daughter on the pier, and then uh, the police also find them. Right. There, you know, so that's your clash. And doesn't he shoot a cop on the way there? Yeah, so his, uh, like, de- uh, not defense, but um, Duval's partner, uh, the woman, yes. I forget her name, um, she goes into the house first, armed or whatever. And literally the second, uh, that's that's when yeah. you're like, oh my God, she he's going to die. The, she goes to the back, he goes to the front, yeah, she he gets hears shot, a like, gunshot. Yeah, he yeah. runs inside and defense is already gone, and then, yeah, he gets her gun. Yeah. So now he's got a gun, um, and... When he gets to the pier, it's like showdown at the OK Corral. I love his introduction. So he speaks, breaking that they don't realize he's there, and he speaks, and it cuts to him. And Robert Duvall is just leaning on the thing, eating somebody's popcorn that they left when they ran off when he came up with the gun. Because like there's a little scene before that where you know Rob, uh, Michael Douglas is like holding the gun and yelling like I wanted I just yeah, see like, my daughter yeah, yeah. I just had a long day at work yep <laughs> and so uh, and also we've also found out because during their investigation Robert Duvall they visited where Defense lived so it's revealed that Defense lives with his mom and dad and he's uh, super she's super worried and scared of him and afraid that like he was going to do something like this and. Uh, you, you're, it's also revealed that he has lost. He lost his job. 
yeah, like a, a while month, ago. A month prior yeah. or so. And in one of the great secrets of the movie, uh, the mom says, "From where he's, where has he been going every day? And you never find out. But I love stuff like that where it's like something that you don't need to know, but it just creates a little more air of mystery about the character. It was like, was he just like driving into town and sitting there with like his empty briefcase? Because earlier... There's another great scene where a guy tries to get money from him. Oh yeah, like yeah, a yeah. hippie guy. Oh yeah, so yep. then, yeah, that's that was crazy too when he realized the briefcase only has like a sandwich and an apple mm-hmm. in it. Yeah, because the the whole movie is kind of portray- like like plays out that way with like you you find little things and you're like, what is up with that? Yeah, you when he said I don't need later. it anymore yep. about his briefcase. Yep. Yeah, that's great foreshadowing right but there. But so uh, once now we're here at the end. There's this very like standoff feel to the ending. Um, and Robert Duvall just delivers this like sort of monologue, st- sort of like yeah, little it's story. Like a cut monologue. Yeah, and and it it ends. He ends up, uh, dis you know they disarm, uh, Michael Douglas and his wife like grabs the gun or they they kicks away the gun and the gun gets thrown into the ocean and now it's just Michael Douglas versus him. He's got him dead to rights and Michael Douglas is like I got another gun in my pocket and we're going to draw. How about we draw? And he's like, nope, I don't really want to do that. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I like, love that when he's yeah. like, no. Nope. Well, because Robert was like, dude, I'm going to get you. There's yeah. no, we're not, I'm already holding the gun. Like, we're not, you're drawing, I'm shooting on on three. So, like, I don't know. You know, he's like basically being like, I want to kill you, man. Come on. But at this point, I think Michael Douglas knows that he's pretty much going to jail for, for a long time yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, after this. So they have a standoff. He counts to three, pulls out. The squirt gun, but on three, because Robert Duvall ain't fucking doing this shit today. Bam, he shoots him. And Michael Douglas then dramatically falls off the pier and into the water. Yeah. And uh, the movie wraps itself up, and it, that's about it. Yeah. There we so, go. Boom. Banish. Ma- I would say major theme would be uh, the middle class white man's deteriorating role in a more multicultural American society, though written and directed by white people, so done with a bit of a heavy hand. Yes. Um, but I do think I like the film. I particularly will give it a uh, four. Okay. Yeah, it is a good movie, but yes. it's not in the canon. I am going to give it a three. That is where I average. It at. Yeah. Yeah, it's you know I think there's, I think there's a lot of great aspects to it, like we talked about. Um, it's rewatchability for me is pretty low. Yep. Um, there's like, I don't know. There's, there's more, there's more that I could nitpick than I could like really celebrate rewatching at points, yeah. you know, but I will watch that fucking scene in the, I'll watch the scene in the fast food place. Like that ending standoff scene's great. Robert Duvall's the man. Yep. Um, yeah, it's average. Yeah. I'd rec, I'd recommend it. It fits well in that, like, in the the lexicon of late 80s and early 90s like uh violent politically charged or you know like uh socially woke for the time movies yeah um but but it also fits nicely just in the lexicon of of like that era in general like there's a lot of you know you have like the the guy who plays the 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 black dude who's protesting gets arrested is also one of the the dudes in Die Hard Two. He's part of like that the unit of soldiers who are bad guys. And, oh, really? And yeah. Oh, nice. Yeah. He's just he's the one that he gets shot. Like I think he gets shot um, 
in the uh, when they're in the like when in the the baggage claim scene where they're like inside the baggage claim and Bruce Willis is chasing the two guys oh, and they yeah, fucking yeah, start yeah. shooting at him. He's one of those two guys. Hell yeah. Yeah. So like, there's lots of great stuff about it and i definitely feel like i enjoy it i enjoy talking about it it's definitely a film i'd yeah, say i could definitely yeah, talk about it a more lot. than anything it, it definitely sparks conversation yeah okay so. so i i will have to give it that edge you know maybe i'll bump i'll bump it up to a 3.5 yeah i think about it yeah, yeah okay, 3.5 cool, just cool. a modest just a modest, modest bump. score yeah. um <laughs> yeah but because yeah because it definitely immediately got my thoughts rolling and it made me want to talk nice, about it a lot pretty nice. much right after seeing it awesome you know, so how yeah. uh, I, how much do you think it was related to its source material? Um, not very. Not very. Yeah. yeah, I think I like I think there's there's a lot more like structurally going on to it than to make it a like a Odyssey retelling. Oh, I definitely. I think like definitely. I think like I think it strongly used that template. You know. Yeah. I just I think, think it, obviously it being like right. an anti Odyssey. Right. You know, it's tough to like really really correlate them when like your villain isn't your hero and right you right, know right. like well and i think what's interesting is that like so again to go back way back to the beginning the the film that kind of like is the template for the idea the of what we're brother. talking about tonight oh brother yeah that also obviously is based in the odyssey yeah of course. and is more on on par with a straight up retelling you know like yeah. there's not a cyclops in the sense of like, how, yeah, yeah right, John right. Goodman is right. a big dude with but an the eye sirens patch. You know? yeah. like there's sirens. There's sirens. You know, yep. like there's also, I think yeah, that's another thing too. Is this one didn't reuse like a lot of the classic uh, obstacles, right? You know, right. like, but it did use lots of like, like, like there, like for instance, the scene where the the gangbangers crashed was only presented violently in Tableau. Like you never saw them actually die or crash. It just hurt. You heard the crash, and he ran around the corner and saw them, like, you know, tableau style, like right. Lapita, la you know. Right. And, and so there was stuff like that. That it's definitely. I think it is. It definitely fits our our theme totally very well. Yeah. And while I agree with what you just said there, I also think it takes an interesting spin. I would actually say that it's more based on just myth in general yeah then specifically the just the odyssey yeah. but obviously him continually saying i'm going home going home yeah that really makes that's me your tie-in yeah. yeah and the sure. the idea of like you know him going home to a wife specifically yeah obviously right, is the right. odyssey you know and anti in the sense that this is not a uh a wife like uh, what was her name penelope who wants him to come home <laughs> it's yeah. a wife who very much does not want him to come home yeah. so all right, so that was falling down. I want to say really quick, yeah, um, about Robert Duvall. Yes, I w this has nothing to do with falling down. Okay. Um, earlier today, I watched the movie uh, THX one one three eight eleven thirty eight for the first time. Yes. Uh, I had no clue that Robert Duvall yeah. was the lead in it, so I was like, "Oh fuck, this is mm -hmm. sweet." I just happened to pick it. Um, if you guys haven't seen it, it's George Lucas's like first yeah. movie it's his like film um, school uh yeah thesis. it's real weird um if you have the criterion channel or want to start a trial to it they have a crazy list of like yeah. 70s sci-fi movies and on it right now if before any of you uh listeners ask yes that is why thx is called thx that was a company started 
by it's George Lucas. So yeah, yeah that exactly. that horrible sound you hear before every movie yeah. with THX on it <laughs> is yeah, that's why. So. Um, so yeah, that movie I just want to say is rad, and Robert Duvall is crazy it is. in it. It's that fun. character, it, that movie's yeah. fucking weird. It's so weird. It's so it's yeah, check that Lu- out. I I love George Lucas, man. I know that you know he's like. He's like 50-50 for a lot of people. It's oh, like totally. So many Star Wars fans are like, oh, I love George Lucas, but I also hate him. Yeah. I don't because I love the prequel trilogy, even though it's bad. I, yeah. I, people always have this problem. Like, Kit different. Fisto is my boy, and yeah, he gets he a is. lot of screen time mm-hmm. in that. That's my boy. Um, it, people have this problem with like not being able to differentiate between like camp media and like like high you know, high media or whatever. It's like, there's a, I get it. There's a difference between like, you know, watching something on Netflix. That's like Imperial dreams. Yeah. And watching something on Netflix. That's like the Witcher, but like you can enjoy them both yeah. for the, with the, at the same amount for different reasons. Totally. And like, same thing with like talking about films that fall into like camp or bad movie or B movie, like part of the appeal of that stuff is that it's kind of bad. Like yeah. that's why I love the prequel trilogy because I laugh at it. That's yeah. why I love Lord of the Rings because half of it's amazing and half of it is like terrible CGI and yeah. like hilarious moments that you're like, what? Yeah, it's, it's just laughable. Yeah, Harry Potter too. You know, totally. like so especially those early yeah. Harry Potter movies. Like yeah, the first man. like four is like I a just lot of I enjoy like I enjoy dumb shit as much as good shit. So yep. Anyway. Cool. We're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to move on to the tale of the Princess Kaguya. Hell yeah, we are. Yeah. bigger again yeah you think so I have heard the rumors about her (laughs) oh my if disobedience to his majesty is considered a crime punishable by death well then the only choice is to kill me And blame yourself. Do you really want to hurt your father like this? Please don't take me away.
The second pick of our, our little theme that we got going on here is my pick. Um, it is The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Um, it is a, ni- a 2013 <laughs> Japanese animated fantasy drama film co-written for the screen and directed by Isao Takahata. Um, it is based on a story called The Tale of the Bamboo Cutter which is your other main character in this movie, but this one focuses on the princess. Yeah. Um, It is produced by Studio Ghibli uh, for Nippon Television Network. Nippon. 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 Yeah, NTN. Nippon Television Network. Nice. Densu and also, yeah, a whole bunch of... Yeah, Walt Disney, Mitsubishi... Toho, oh, yeah, everybody. Toho, aka Godzilla. Toho, yeah. There's a lot of com- Japan does a lot of this. A lot of time they do like uh, committee stuff. So like, it's even like you'll see it in animes a lot. It'll be like the Ghost in the Shell committee worked right. on it or was the producer or whatever, and it's like a bunch of companies. Okay. So instead of just like listing like ten companies, they'll just yeah, just yeah. say their organization yeah. and then you exactly. f- you figure out what's in the committee. Right. Um, <laughs> yes. <yeah, so laughs> obviously, the main character of this movie is Princess Kaguya who is voiced by uh, Aki Asakura, and in the dub version, it is uh, Chloe Grace Mort- uh, Moretz. Yep. Uh, I don't know who that is. Yeah, Chloe you Grace do. Moretz? Do I? Yeah, you do. She's been in what? lots of stuff. Um, no, I don't. She's in... I don't even know what she's been in. She was in Kick-Ass, I think. Never saw it. You know her. I don't, don't know you start this. With this stuff. <laughs> she's in yeah. Amityville Horror, okay. Desperate Housewives, Poker House. I'm very familiar with the Desperate Housewives, Kevin. <laughs> she, I know you are. She's um, in Thirty Rock. <laughs> um, <laughs> and then another. Yes. Uh, all right. If she's in Thirty Rock. I definitely recognize her. But she's blonde. Is she Jenna in Thirty Rock? Maybe. No way. Who is this? She's in Kick Ass too. She was also in Kick Ass. Yeah. She's Hit Girl. You've seen Kick-Ass? No, I haven't oh, seen Oh, it's Kick good. Ass. Is it good? It's good, yeah. Okay. She's hit girl. She's awesome, dude. Okay. I know you must have seen... She's been in some... She was in Dark Shadows. All she was right. In, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll she figure was in, it out. Uh, she, the, she was in The Tale of the Princess Kaguya. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, crazy. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. She it's different, though. Face. It's, like, different when you don't see their face. Yeah, it's too. hard to do. You, I, some, you, some people you can really pull right. the, the face off of, like... Michael Keaton as Porco. Right, <laughs> Porco right. Uh, so, and then it's uh, Sudamaru is Kengo Kora, and in the dub it's uh, Darren Chris. Yeah, and that's the love interest. Yes, and uh, the bamboo cutter is uh, Takio Chai, and then, or Chi, and then it's James Khan in the American one. I think, actually in Jap- Japanese, and I only know this because of wrestling, boom, Pururazu Pur- in, in particular, I think that's Chi'i. Chi'i. Because there's a wrestler whose name is spelled like that. It's Ishii, but with two eyes, and it's okay. Ishii is how they say Whoa. it. Yeah. So I don't know. It might not be. I All might right. be wrong. But anyway. Yeah. So yeah, there's a bunch. There's of, a bunch of characters. You know, it's like you got the bamboo. We can. And bamboo yeah. Wives, just run you know. through the uh, English characters because I know our audience won't really know a lot of these Japanese voice actors. Totally. So um. Yeah. So Bamboo Cutter's wife is uh, Mary Steenberg and. Uh, lady Sagami, who is the lady who, or Sagam, Sagamai, Sagami, she's, yeah. Sagami, she's the person who like teaches uh, Princess Kaguya or the ways of being a mm-hmm. lady. Uh, is Lucy Lucy Lou? Yep, yep. Um, was it Mino uh, Mino Warwa Warwa? <laughs> <laughs> His this guy's name is so weird. I feel Hendon like they're Walsh. giving these names characters that. Uh, I, I oh, know. I meant the actor. His name is Hinden Walsh. Hinden Walsh. But we also had uh, James Marsden, 
was the Hell prince. Yeah. Uh, Oliver Platt was the, the minister, Lord Minister. And the Mikado was this one. I was like watching it. And I'm like, wait a minute. Yeah. It's Dean fucking Kane. Yeah. I was like, what the real. fuck is that fucking MAGA <laughs> supporter doing in here? Fucking asshole. Um, yeah. I was like, what the fuck, Dean Kane? What is going on here? Anyway, it was just, that was just weird. Yeah. But it's uh, yeah, pretty low key voice cast. Yeah, it's okay. Know? I mean, it does have some good. Oliver Platt really sticks out. His little his scenes are pretty good, um, as well as Lucy Liu. And I think overall the relationship between the three main characters is really well done. James yeah. James Khan does a very believable voice. Uh, I did actually usually because you asked me this when you first came in. I did actually watch the English version though. A lot of times I like to be a cool teenager and watch the. <laughs> Like in Japanese we version, get it. you can read. Yes, yeah. um, no, subtitles are uh, typically the you know the subs is the right. way to go. Anyways, I was just lazy. Yeah, <laughs> I was like I don't want to read today. Right, no, I feel you. So I uh, only found one tagline for this movie. Uh, it was a princess's crime and punishment, um, which I I could see that it does kind of follow a similar uh, like storyline. Yeah. To to crime and punishment in that way that like it it's sad at the end, yeah, I guess. Right, yeah, uh, exactly. But anyway, it had a budget of five billion yen uh, or forty nine million dollars and a um not so great box office considering that. Yeah. Uh of two point five billion dollars or twenty seven million in um or I'm sorry, two point five billion yen. Yes. Twenty seven million dollars. And uh that is also though the large budget is also due to the fact that it took like eight years i think it was to yeah. make this film something like that yeah it's like very 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 hand-drawn yeah <laughs> you know like yeah. it's uh, and it's long too it's very it's like long. two and a half hours it is two and a half I believe. yeah that's yeah. a very long long movie for that it's a very long movie. yes <laughs> um so it has a hundred percent rating from the critics which it is pretty, does pretty so fucking solid this is the second movie we've covered i forget what the first one is now what was it i, f- I can't remember one of well one of them was technically neo yokio yeah right, right but right. there was another one we covered that had a hundred i forget what yeah it was. Anyway. we'll figure that one out yeah. we'll tell you later computer computer come in yes they say the other film that had a 100 percent fresh score was the invisible man uh and it has a 90 percent audience score mm-hmm. so that's pretty Pretty close and comparable enough critic audience score. Yeah. For me, you know. Yeah. Uh, Nicholas Bell of Ion Cinema says, a hand-drawn masterwork, uh, which is like we just said. Uh, ben Nicholson. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's 100% that. Uh, ben Nicholson of Cineview says, uh, a melancholic swan song. It blends the director's prior occupations and provides a perfect canvas for a final visual flourish. And then Takahata's like, oh, I'm going like, to produce actually, another movie, yeah, you I'm motherfucker. Still going. 82 years old, we ain't done. Yeah, production credit. <laughs> <laughs> um, user Matt C calls it, I was bored to tears, and my kids really lost interest in the second half. It's one of those kids' films that is actually aimed at hipster film critics. Whoa. This is a stinker and lasts well over two hours. Avoid. All right. <laughs> Damn, Matt. I've been this is, hit. I've been hit. Yeah. This, <laughs> these next two are my favorites. This is my favorite thing that I've ever found in the user reviews. So, Dylan, please <laughs> please do enlighten us. All right. So, uh, user uh, Mara R raves, uh, <laughs> fuck this stupid movie. I wasted two hours of my life on this shit. <laughs> and uh, strangely enough, the strangely user enough, yes. Rara M. Rara M. <laughs> with... A very similar looking woman in both Whoa. pictures. 
Hmm. Mara R and Rara hmm. M. Yes, and hmm. how did Rara M feel about uh, this movie? So she was raving about it also, actually. Yeah. Uh, seeing the high numbers that indicate what a great movie this is truly baffles me. How can such a painstakingly dull and boring movie be loved and critically acclaimed? Every minute, every minute of it was agonizing to watch, let alone two hours, which is way too long for an animated film anyways. I'm at a loss for words <laughs> trying to find a positive aspect to this overrated failure. So, I did not... I don't think she liked it. N- no, but <laughs> what's really funny is that these two reviews were right next to each other. And the, the way that they you know stack these reviews are by when they're done. So, she has two accounts... And she made two accounts, and one of them, I think it was the Mara, the first one, is, like, not used anymore. Okay. So, like, I, I, I don't know. This film really made Mara or Rara uh, very angry because yeah. they had two accounts, gave it a half star each time. I think that's so funny if you think that the Rara one did it first and had right. that whole long description right. of it and then goes, I'm at a loss <laughs> for words, and then makes another account. Fuck this stupid <laughs> right, movie. Right. <laughs> I just, it you. was just, it's literally, I know, like, Mara, if you ever hear this, which you probably won't, but if you ever do, I, I'm not trying to make fun of you, but it was just so funny to see that. It's just be like, it's like, it's like if it was like Steve B and then like B S. Yeah, <laughs> you're right. Like, yeah. Like, exactly. This Come movie on. sucks. Yeah, this movie's really bad. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> you're like, okay. <laughs> just switch the first letters. I like started laughing so hard yeah. when I, I imagine saw we it. won't hear uh yeah. won't, they won't hear it. Based on their absolute disinterest right. and anger towards this I, movie. Um I did check I clicked on both of them to see what their highest rated movie it was. Nice. They gave four stars to Zombieland Double Tap. Wow. Everything else was worse than that they reviewed, but... Wow. Yeah. Tough, so, tough critic. <laughs> very tough. Yeah, hey, whatever. So, uh, yeah, this was a released on the 23rd of November, 2013, uh, which is the same day as Doctor Who, The Day of the Doctor, which I think was a TV movie, but I guess it was yeah. released in theaters. Wow. Um, but it was also released around the time of Frozen, uh, the United States remake of Old Boy starring Josh Brolin, and the Rush Clockwork Angels tour. Rest in peace, Neil Peart. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So music at that point. Yeah. And the United States was Royals by Lord. Yes, which was <laughs> which is a jam. Yes, and I was like number song. one in the United States. From the beginning of October to the beginning of December. Wow. Yeah, Good which run. is very very uh, rare Yeah. Um, in general, but yeah, definitely since the 90s. Super rare for songs to stay number one that long, yeah. Um, yeah, this song in the UK was Animals by Martin Garrix. Now, I don't think I know this song. You do know this song, because I said okay, the same oh, thing. Let me pull it up real quick. Y- you know, like, there's this one part of the song that is like in commercials and shit. It's like this like woodblock thing. By? By Martin Martin Garrix. Martin Garrix. Yeah. It's like this right. woodblock thing in the song that's like <laughs> Skip ahead a little bit. <laughs> skip skip. Skip more. Dude, this is this crazy. isn't the part. Though. This is just like it's like oh almost. <laughs> what this is going is, on? Dude? Wait, wait. Keep going. Wait, stop. It's this thing coming up. It's like. <laughs> Wait a sec. It's just like typical like oh, house yeah. music, but 
This, this video one part, is crazy. I swear to God, I didn't know anything from this song. I didn't remember anything except for this one part. It's coming up after this. After, oh, the after drop. This dumb drop. No, drop. it's after the drop. Yeah. Oh, it's after the drop. It, or maybe it is the drop. the drop. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know which one's I the drop. Know. Is the drop the moment it yeah, happens? Yeah, the drop is when it happens. Like Wait. this is the drop. Okay, so. You know this, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've heard it somewhere. I don't know where, but I've heard it. You know? Oh yeah, that's popping. So, yeah. Yeah. And so, it's like, dude, so how weird is it to think back to like that era of music, like dude, the yeah, dubstep like, we were just talking era? About, like I'm every woman, but instead we're listening to. It's like the the house trap dubstep that's era, crazy. where everybody was just like playing with sequencers and holding yeah. one button on a keyboard to make a bass, make a bass line. And like, people were eating a lot of MDMA to go yeah, see it live. Yeah, literally. That's we started talking about Molly about five seconds yeah. after <laughs> that song came on. <laughs> yeah, that song instantly just Molly. Oh uh, well, that is a also, wildly different song than yes. Royals. <laughs> also, though, in Japan. The number one song was a song called Sayonara Arigato by the, Hata- by the Hatake Band. Now, I wanted to show you this song because I like it a lot. It sounds like almost like how country music sounds like now, but also a little bit like the Backstreet Boys. Okay. So, oops. It's just like nice. Yeah, soothing voice. And it's like an old guy and a young guy. Like he's not that old, but he's gonna be in his forties, and then like a twenty-year-old. And they're oh, just that does like, sound like a poppy, like a like a boy band country sound. Right. It sounds like how country music sounds now, where it's like turned into pop music. So like it has lost yeah. a little bit of the country thing, but it still has like the the songs are still country songs. Yep. You know, right, like right. if you break it down. So yeah. That was the number one song yeah. in Japan. I like that. See, the listeners will get like a really full version that we're not getting yeah, in their yeah, ears because yeah. I'll be put. I'll just put the actual song in the oh, background. But, um, yeah. So how about you give me some yeah, video so, um, games? So video games, it's funny to think about movie, when we do movies, uh, very modern, you know, when we get the video game category. So, yeah, we got a lot of games that, like, feel like they just came out pretty recently. Uh, so a lot of games on, like, big series that there were, like Ace Attorney, Army of Two, Assassin's Creed, uh, Batman, Arkham, Battlefield, uh, Bioshock, Call of Duty. Like, there was something from every currently big game series right now or like early 2010s big game series yeah, um, and that's just like pretty much how it goes nowadays every year it's like all right fifa fucking 20 yeah well yeah exactly like the we'll day be before like soon. all that shit came out like the day before was like assassin's creed black uh a black flag fifa 15 madden 25 uh, there was a lego marvel hero game yep and dead rising 3 yep came out so that's pretty you know, pretty sick stuff and in toys we uh, had some great toys, including the Nerf Rebel Heartbreak Heartbreaker Bow. Uh, Lego Chima was out at this time. Oh, you ever heard? Cool. Of, you remember Chima? Yeah. Yeah, there were like lions and like the bad guys were like crocodiles and shit. Yeah, oh, weird. it was cool, but like it's another problem I have with Lego. Um, <laughs> and I gotta voice this. 
Lego like keeps <laughs> dancing around Lego Castle like it ain't fucking there. Like they they released Nexo Knights, which was like they were like they were like knights with like mechs, and they had like fucking futuristic vehicles and shit. And I was like, okay, cool if this was 1982, but like nah, I want like knights from like the Middle Ages. And then they released these Lego Chima guys, and I was like, again, like cool, but also where is the Middle Ages? Yeah, I want right. Lego Castle, you know, like I don't want like Lionhead guy as much as I just want straight just up like old sc- yeah. yeah and pirates yeah pirates fucking too, pirates. Yeah. pirates bring back lego cool. pirates also while uh, you're listening lego <laughs> while we ha- while we have your attention lego mm-hmm. um bring back bionicles please yeah thanks. bring back bionicle Sign too me. thanks but also thank thanks you for, for lego hidden side which is a new lego thing where it's like it's like an app too and you can like you get the set and then you download the app and you like play a game where you hunt ghosts. It's kind of like yeah. fucking Pokemon Snap Go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Snap. <laughs> um, <laughs> Pokemon Snap's awesome. Pokemon Snap rocks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, also, while we have your attention, Lego, uh, 4K remaster of the Bionicle trilogy. Hell movie, yeah! Please, Hell might yeah. as well. While we had yeah. just while we had your attention. Some Thanks. other uh, toys from 2013 include the Barbie digital dress. What? I don't know what that is. Uh, a plasma bug. What's that? I don't know. It sounds like a bug God, made I, out of I plasma. Might, I wasn't really buying a lot of yeah. toys in 2013, uh, I suppose. A first bike street bike. That sounds sick. Oh. Whatever it is. I would definitely yeah. have that on my Christmas list yeah, as a child. Sick. Yeah. Uh, sky- first bike street yeah. bike. Mom, get me a Skyrocket Toys quick attach microscope. Oh, my God. They're modding <laughs> their Nerf guns. That's is that what like, they're doing. That's definitely what that is. Is that like a scope for like That's a fucking... That's what I'm saying. A <laughs> For fucking like a like, like oh, a mom, Dennis for the Menace. I really want this like Arctic camouflage skin yeah, for yeah. my nerves. What is gun? up with these kids, man? These kids with their Fortnite and they're all like being trained to fight in a war against Iran. Like, what the fuck is going on with their Play Doh perfect twist ice cream parlors Hell and their yeah. Fisher Price Create and Learn iPad case? Like what? Man. One of the top toys was an iPad case. An iPad case, yeah. Sounds like it might so. have had some games in it. Yeah, definitely not as cool as the McDonald's Play School Playhouse that yeah. we covered in one of the last episodes. Yeah, you shit me. That thing was crazy. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this film is about a bamboo cutter. Uh, who's, I guess it's like a woodcutter, woodsman. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. They're just vibing in the, yeah. in the bamboo <laughs> They're just vibing. Yeah, I don't know yeah. how he makes a paycheck, Kind of like similar does. landscape to, um, what is it? Uh, Onibaba. Yeah. Like, yeah. very similar, like, lifestyle setup, you know? It also very similar to um, a lot of the other... Yeah, it's like... It's what, they're, it's like, similar. in the reeds, basically. Yeah, you know? yeah. They're, they're, they're like in a yeah. bamboo forest, way it's away also, from town. It has that weird feel with... with Miyazaki likes to do this, too, where it kind of feels like... D- Takahata has made it more in one age, but it also kind of feels ageless. You know, like it, 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 yeah. it has this quality where like it doesn't feel nailed down to a specific time period in Japan necessarily, right. you know? So like that's why I think it fit for this like anachronistic retelling and and even more so to what um Takahata felt about the story itself. He was a yeah. big fan of the original story, the tale of the bamboo cutter. But he said uh he struggled to relate and sympathize with the protagonist, the bamboo cutter. Um, and to him, the heroine's transformation was enigmatic, and that it didn't evoke uh, it. It didn't evoke any empathy from him. Um, so I think this was like a way for him to try to reorganize the story 
to focus more on the princess herself as a central character than as a magical foible. You know, taking her essentially from the blue fairy of Pinocchio yeah. and retitling it, you know, instead of Pinocchio, it's now the blue fairy. Yeah, Everything yeah. the blue fairy does when Pinocchio's not around, you know? Right, 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 yeah. And so side, it's, side story yeah. stuff. So it's interesting, you know, he's he's recasting or, you know, shining, reshining a light on a different aspect of what the story yeah, means. Yeah, giving the camera a little yeah. shift. Yeah. You know? And... Uh, so this was your pick. Yes. And uh, it definitely is a film that I enjoyed. Um, I love Studio Ghibli in general. I also love Takahata's films. Uh, Miyazaki is probably better overall, but that's also because he's made so much, ma- so many more iconic films. Right. Takahata takes his time. As we kind of already talked about, with yeah. This one. See, like and I'm not, yeah. uh, I'm not very familiar with his catalog, but we were talking about how eight years yeah. <laughs> of building this. Apparently, he was gonna make a version of this in like was it 1960? Yeah, right yeah. Like he was gonna do an adaptation. So it's been the concept of this movie that was released in 2013 has been on his mind yep. for. The better half of fifty similar years. <laughs> similar story though that Miyazaki had behind The Wind Rises, and also behind his new film, which I don't know the title of off the top of my head, but uh, that he's working on now, it's it's that director's project that they've wanted to do since before they got famous. Yeah, and they just kept putting it off and putting it off and putting it off. Yeah, you know? he thought about it when he was just a young guy trying to make his way in the animation world and he wanted to make that film yeah but then like you know he did this he did that and then time just got away from him and he did other things so this is really like okay this is the last chance i really have to buckle down and work on a film yeah and you know he basically spent his whole 70s because he's yeah pretty well yeah working on this film yeah Yeah. the late 60s through his late 70s he was working on this film and perfecting it and it is up there in terms of the most beautiful Studio Ghibli movies in general. Yeah, the only other one like that can come to mind recently that I saw for the first time. So that's why I picked this because I went and mm-hmm. saw like they're doing like the Ghibli Fest stuff at the yep, through yep. Fathom events, and the last one of the year was this, and it is just like I don't know. It's you. It's very different from what you're kind of traditionally getting served from uh, Ghibli movies. Well, for uh, Miyazaki. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, look, exactly. <laughs> well, what, pretty much what you're going to be watching. But even, like, a lot of the other directors have, uh, like, this is just very minimalist and very hand-drawn. Yeah. And, like, I don't know, it's just very captivating. And you look at the, the length of it, and even, like, a two-and-a-half-hour Miyazaki movie, like, right. I feel like his narratives typically aren't going to run that long. Well, I think also, like, so you really, I mean, Ghibli really is Takahata and Miyazaki. Yeah. And then, you know, Miyazaki... Uh, the the sun, there aren't really. I mean, like I know there's other directors who work for them, but like the ne- those those two, yeah, are on another level. Right. They are the founders exactly, of the studio. Yeah. You know what I mean? They, right. They founded Studio Ghibli to make their films. Right. You know? Yeah, and, and that's evident. Right. And but Taka- the only other- Takahata has always, I think, been, you know, second fiddle in that way. And a lot of times, like Pompoko which is probably, other than uh, Grave of the Fireflies, his most famous movie. But both of them, really, 
they always get remembered and people will be like, oh, have you ever seen this Miyazaki movie, Pompoko, or this Miyazaki movie? And you're like, that's actually Takahata. And Miyazaki right, had nothing right. to do with it yeah. other than it's the same studio. So I'm sure, you know, maybe yeah, he's an executive yeah. producer or something. But like, yeah, those guys did their own thing. You know, they produced each other's films here and there. But like they they both, you know, supported each other in making their own style of film. And they're right. vastly different. Totally. Miyazaki is more, I think, attention to detail. And he also, like I said before, he lives in a more Disney-fied world where he doesn't like doing unhappy things to his yeah. characters that aren't going to be resolved yeah. with I'll, happiness. It's a lot of like fantastical stuff with right. happy And everything resolves. resolves in a positive way. Yeah. You know? Not many characters die. Yeah. And if they do, it's usually like, like even really the most violent one is probably Mononoke. Yeah. And, and even that, like the characters that die are made more evil than they need to be on purpose. Even like nameless samurai. Yeah. Like he's, and so that's why I always say he's very, he's very Disney. Takahata is definitely like the dreamer of the two. He's got his own style He's got his own way of storytelling that is definitely similar. Like, obviously, they're very linked and they're, you know, they have a similar way of, of, of telling their story. But Takahata is definitely more, I think, more artistic. You know, yeah. it's weird saying that talking about two of the best animation, yeah, probably the yeah. two best animation directors ever, in the world yeah. ever. Yeah. yeah. But, like, I don't know. There's something that he, it's like, it's like Miyazaki is more exact. But Takahata is more creative. Right. And that's why his films will never be as popular, but they might be better. Yeah. You know? Well, it's you've got to be thankful that they're all under that umbrella, that they'll, you know, their legacy will right. carry on for a long time regardless. Right. You know, it's not like it's lost in some random studio that isn't the most famous yeah, animation exactly. studio in the world. And, and also another b- big, like, uh, difference between them is that a lot of Takahata's films have somber bittersweet or straight up sad endings as opposed to miyazaki's films which usually have uplifting disney like happy endings yeah. you know hollywood style hey everything works out for pretty much everybody you yeah. know maybe a care good guy character here or there gets sacrificed but for the most part the gang's all here in the end and everything's works out you know right right it does that 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 ride that now it's it's sad because almost every movie does it where it's like characters go up this thing and then eventually they have a falling out where the two characters like are separated from each other and then they have another rise back to the climax where they're reunited and everything's fine right you know like howl's moving castle there you go (laughs) you know so so takahata doesn't do that yeah so uh, to get to the, the 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 quick rundown of this movie um a bamboo cutter the namesake of the original story Basically, he's just chopping down bamboo, living his life like we were talking about. Uh, cuts down this one bamboo stalk that he sees that's glowing, and there's like a little flower that unfurls, and it hands him this little miniature yeah, princess. A, you a know, miniature girl. It a mini- yeah, it's a <laughs> very much so a miniature yeah. girl. She's like it's like a three-inch wrestling action figure. Yeah, yeah. you know, like it's like a little bit bigger. Th- yeah, it's like it's like maybe like double the size of a lego man you yeah know? right right <laughs> um and then he's like holy shit like there's this baby and then it like turns into like a actual yeah. B- baby yeah and, and they, that's like a thing that throughout the movie is going on she's yeah, growing she's growing at a rapid yeah. rapid rapid rate and uh so they take her home and raise her you know and granted like the raising of her probably takes right. place over the course of like because, a summer because this is a fairy tale yes exactly but uh 
they you know they raise her and i believe there's this story that he like she's royalty that was sent down he thinks he, you know yeah he believes yeah he believes that she's i like, would say is the way to put it yeah, yeah that she's a princess yeah and that and and this is also because he also ends up be uh Coming into good fortune, I guess you could say. Yeah. Because of her, he ends up also finding, later on, finding uh, gold and shit. Yep. Like, where he found her. Yeah. So, like, he... Yeah, he thinks... Oh, that's... Yeah, that's when he thinks it's a sign. Right. So, he thinks right. that she's, like, a natural... Like city and shit. Natural birth or whatever, delivered princess. So, yeah. So, he's like, you know what? We're going to town, and I'm going to tell everybody that, like, you're the princess. And uh, they... Sure as shit, go to town right. <laughs> and, and do that. She's the princess. <laughs> All of a sudden, they're in this mansion, and she's living this. They're they're becoming this royal family, and then she grows, and they get to the obstacle of needing to wed her, and she just wants to go back to those times right. when she was growing up in the right. Bamboo Valley. Because again, like I had mentioned to you before, uh, I was talking to you about only yesterday. My favorite Takahata movie, Takahata loves nostalgia. Yeah. And I so does Miyazaki, but Takahata even more so. And he knows how to really inf- in, inflict you with it. Yeah. To make you feel nostalgia for your own life with, you know, the music. And, uh, and I mean, Joe Hisaishi, who also does all of Miyazaki's music, his score for this movie is fantastic. Yeah. So, and he is also a very nostalgic, uh, you know, music writer. And so I think that this film really gets you as much as it gets the character. Oh, 100%. So she's going through this process of where she needs to get wed, and she just doesn't want any of it, wants to go back to her friends. And growing up, there's like five uh, princes that are royalty that come down, and she basically just won't wed any of them unless they complete this uncompletable task. Right. And that whole time, while any any plot is building, it just keeps striking you with the nostalgia bits where you can tell that she right. just she just wants out. Well, and it also makes it very clear that uh, what's his name, Sudamori or whatever. Yeah, Sudamaru. Sudamaru. Yeah, 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 he's her. You know, the tr- the person she actually loves. Yeah. Even if yes. it's not, and in again, in such a a really. Uh, non-sexualized sort of fairy tale way yeah just a nice um, little like pure yeah. friendshipy love right and that's thing, maybe you know? that's i think why this one is like it's a little bit more like stock for than what he normally does with stories even though a lot of times he has based it on other books or stories or whatever this one is very is is much it's more following the myth than I would have thought it was had you know having if I had read his comment before I saw it I would have been expecting it to be like really a departure yeah yeah, from the yeah. Myth. No, it's and really not no I don't I don't think he really like though he did focus way more at least from what I read I did not read this whole story of the of the bamboo cutter but the story of the bamboo cutter we might as well I might as well give it to you so like it's the same thing you know this guy finds the girl and uh he cuts down the stock of bamboo and inside and uh, after he's found her and he finds a small nugget of gold so they bring her to the city and stuff but everything really it seems when you even when you read it you see it kind of it's almost like she's like just being carried around behind him you know it doesn't really like in it you know bother to ask like what she thinks about anything that's going on and so the movie really gives her a characterization that's not present in the story, 
Okay. And I think that is really, the, that's the, the departure from the story that he's talking about. So I'll, I'll, I'll give it that. But I also feel like it just kind of, more so than than falling down, definitely, just doesn't really do anything like new with that story aside from that like one character change right you know which makes sense because it feels like this story like had a impact on him as a person definitely you know and it like clearly it was an everlasting thing oh yeah i get why he wouldn't make it a departure right. rather than just like a re-angling you know because right. clearly he has a lot well, of like respect and, and inspiration it, from it it's a uh, like it's part of uh it's part of a, a, a type of story that you see a lot of in Japan. There's another even more famous uh, Japanese folk ta- lore tale called Momotaro. Okay. And Momotaro is a little boy who I think he came out of an orange, if I remember correctly. Hell yeah. yeah he's been he's referenced in a lot of animes. There's a bunch of animes that have referenced him. That's like literally where I heard of him the first time nice. and, and like looked more into it. But yeah. He's like it's like the little onion boy or the little orange boy, <laughs> but moment little onion boy. Like it's like the same sort of like thing though. Like yeah, he's like right. from you know he's born like as this little guy out of a little uh, with peach. It was a peach. Oh hell yeah, he's peach boy. Hell yeah, yeah. Not to be confused you know? with James and the Giant Peach. Yeah, he's the local hero of the Okayama Prefecture. Uh, and he was born from a giant peach, which was found floating down the river by an old childless woman who was washing her clothes there. The woman and her husband discovered the child, and they tried to open the peach and eat it. The child explained he'd been bestowed, bestowed by the gods to be their son. The couple named him Momotaro from Momo, Peach, and Taro, eldest son in the family. Fuck yeah. Yep. Nice. And then he went on to have wild adventures, and I believe he might have even been one of the characters who ran across the Monkey King. Because someone wrote a story about him and the Monkey King. But I don't Damn. know if that's true. Well, but that's anyway. Cool. Yeah. So, like, what we were talking about with coming off of source material that we talked about for Falling Down. Yep. Um, it's, like, they're, to compare them on how well they use their source material is weird. Because, like, um, Kaguya is such a specific tale, you know, whereas the Odyssey is more of a template, right. you know? Well, I will say, I would say that, Yes, first of all, but I would also <laughs> yeah. say that like in in the the thing about Kaguya that's really interesting, you know, kind of off of what I just said about it, about, you know, it focusing more on Kaguya is that I think that in general, especially coming from a guy who's in his 70s from Japan, for Japanese audiences and uh Takahata had a uh a track record of, ex, you know, like like putting women in the spotlight. So, like, I think that that's really, really important about what he's doing, even though it's in, in 2013. But the fact that he wanted to do that in 1960, and then he made a whole career of it. Like, Only Yesterday is a really great example. It's a movie that, like, surprises... It surprises me that it wasn't written by a woman, you know, because yeah. it's very it, it 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 in this one too, because they're very perceptive, and more so than most male writers ever are of 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 women. And they're usually male writer. I mean, there's the whole meme of it, male writers being like, 
over sexualizing every oh, woman yeah. and every Everything. or or under sexualizing depending on what they want to the audience to feel if they want them to think they're hot they just talk about how hot they are if they want them to be ugly they degrade their appearance like and i think that that the fact that he puts women in a spotlight and makes them human in a way really works better in some of those other films because he's not dealing with magical characters yeah you know and but but there's still so much that's great about this film. It's just weird. It almost would have been. It's almost like you know, minus obviously the the uh, technology available to make the animation. But like it, it feels like if it had been his film from 1960, I would I would think it is maybe his best film. Okay. It's the fact that he made I'd, it last. I'm not familiar with his other films right. really, so I feel like I have a different angle on it. But obviously, once I see these, true. Films, and I mean, you know, I, I, I don't want to just dwell on that too much, like comparing one. No, of course. Film, yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. It, it's it's kind of the same thing. I felt like I had to do when talking about Miyazaki because I think well, yeah, both I mean, these guys, they're on that level for their respective. Yeah, you know, and they have enough material to to do that. Too, right. You right. Know? You know, but it's it's like a, a director like Scorsese, or you know, and there's a myriad of them where you're just like that director is on a different level and you kind of talk about their films differently right and you feel like you feel the necessity to reference other films because they make lots of really good films you know and it's harder for me to compare this to another film because it's better you know so it's easier to be like well i'm gonna compare it to his other films because all his films are really good you know so like that's you know the best of the best kind of thing so like for instance if i was gonna if I was going to talk about this film and compare it to another one of his films that I, th- in, 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 like, positively, it's Palm Poco. He gets the same energy as Palm Poco. This film is really fun, but it's also really nostalgic and it's really, you know, it has moments that are sad, moments that are scary, yeah. you know, adventure, excitement. It, it really does everything and it's, it is completely 100% a Studio Ghibli film. You oh know, yeah, it, it fits all yeah. of that. It, it's, you know, the Japanese, the Japanese Disney, you know, that that's what they do and they do it well and they yep. do it better than fucking Disney does. Honestly, yeah, Disney should seriously. be called the American Studio Ghibli, <laughs> even though yeah. they came second. But, right. Yeah. You know, it, they're so just we, so good at it. So we didn't get to the end, like really the sad part that we were talking about. Yeah. So, so, much so the sad ending, you know. So, yeah, she ends up fleeing home if i remember correctly and like they end up uh basically to really boil it down she ends up finding out she has to go back to the moon because she came from the moon yeah she was sent into the bamboo shoot from the moon and she has to go back on like a full moon yeah she's like a demigod at least yeah and so like her father like finally or her the bamboo cutter like finally you kind of finally see him snap and become more like human and less involved in like all these riches that he's gaining and all yep. these traditions from being the father he's, of a princess. They, him and the mother, they show like their true love for her. Yeah, they exactly. Actually are, it's, it's interesting that you did. See, it is her father. Yeah, yes. At that is point, he is yeah, expressing, it's 100% her father. I'm actually your dad. I don't care about all this other stuff. I'd give yeah. it all away if I could just. Right. Exactly. Know. And so they, they build up a barricade to try and protect when the, like the moon people come, but obviously it doesn't work because they're fucking moon people. Because this isn't <laughs> a Miyazaki movie. Yeah. It's a Takahata yeah, movie. Yeah, exactly. And, uh, she, 
she leaves and it wipes her memory. Like she yep. puts on a there's a cloak that she puts on that wipes her memory basically of all the time that she was existing on Earth yep. and just resets back to there's her being on the moon. There's also like a moment before they put it on where it's almost like she's about to. You think she's about to? Yeah, go be back. like no, no, yeah, I don't. Yeah, know. yeah. Right. And, then and then she doesn't have enough time to change her mind. Yep. And, and then the cloak gets put on her and it's just boom, like blank slate. Yep. And that's but that's as she leaves, there is. A, p- a moment where she turns back to her parents and the woodcutter and his wife are obviously, you know, emotional. And it's like perhaps she understands, maybe not fully, but she understands why they're sad. Yeah, she you know, she knows like what some happened. Some sort yeah. of connection to it. Yeah. Yep. And that's it. Because, like I said, this is not a Miyazaki movie, yeah. and it's not a happy ending. Yeah, it's a bittersweet ending. She didn't go back and live ending. a happy yeah. life with uh, Sadumaru. It's also like. super Japanese. It's very rigid in its uh, in its rules that like th- you know, and again like that's what what makes it less like Miyazaki was has so much more of that Disneyfied, and en- endings where where things work out for the characters. Yeah, of course. Like, it's way more Japanese to be like, well, that's just fate. You're fated. You know, you have to do this, and it's sad, but it's also like. She is going home like she should. She has to. Yeah, there's know? that like, bittersweetish yeah. kind of end of it. And I mean, every once in a while, um, Disney or other kids films will do something like that. Like that, like, you know, especially if, like a film where like that, you you know, a film that's made to explain to a kid, you know, when a pet dies or something like that. Films yeah, like that like where like some sort of like irreversible yeah. loss. You right. Know? It has like to make it like bittersweet. Like, she's like, I have to go and there's nothing right. you can do to stop right. it. They set up the barricades. They can't stop it. She says she has to go. She goes. Right. And you she, know, like, it also comes that thing where it's like she wants to stay, but she also makes the choice because she knows she has to. And yeah, it's it is a very beautiful ending. It's another like. I think it's also very different uh, than how, at least the way I interpreted it, again, I didn't read it, how the ending is um, in the actual story. Yeah, the tale of the bamboo yeah. cutter. Um, so she, in the in the actual story, like, there's this whole thing where she has to, like, answer these questions about the mountain. And I don't really, I mean, I don't really know what's going on. But, but like... In the end, she, it's the same thing. She goes back to the moon and, and they cry. But I feel like it's not as nuanced in its description. And again, without reading it, I don't know. But it, do, it doesn't really like feel like it presents that question at the end like the film does. So I definitely see where uh, Takahata was like adding his own flourishes to yep. the story. Um, and I, I think this film is his best from an animation standpoint yeah it was the most visually captivating yeah. thing i've watched since the first time i saw uh like the secret world of arietti yeah yeah and, like that one's another one that that's like really good, strikes yeah. hard for me and is that who i forget who directed that yeah one. that's neither of them um, that's that's the, uh, is that miyazaki's son or is that someone else i think it's somebody else. oh i think that is uh hiromasa is, yonbayashi yeah. yep yonabashi yeah yonabashi Yonabayashi. We got it. (laughs) (laughs) Hiromasa Yonabayashi. 
Um, yeah, Arietti is also very good. Yeah, uh, highly suggest that. I mean, I really think anything Studio Ghibli. Yeah, I mean, made they is all great. look great, yeah. but like that one, just like I don't know. Yeah, the story of just like the key, was right. it the keepers or whatever the yeah it was the secret keepers. The, or? I forget what the the thing's based off of the borrowers. Borrowers, or, yeah, yeah, the yeah, borrowers. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, great book. Yeah, but they're like just these all these little uh, little tiny life size little right, tiny humans, right. you know, like like microscopic ish. But uh. I give this movie a five. Yeah. Um, why? <laughs> <laughs> um, it's just so like I don't know. It's such a such a pure story. It was like nicely narrated, slightly. You know, it wasn't like a lot of narration, but like yeah, it did kind of. One thing that I normally don't like in movies, unless it's utilized correctly, and it was I was okay with it. Yeah, at first was like, like mm. it did it only like slightly, and it made it feel like normalized right you know and it wasn't like, so slight that you were like why did they put the narrator in at all right like, yeah, yeah it was okay yeah and i thought it was, i don't know it's like to me um uh james and the giant peach is yeah. how much narration a film should have it should okay. have a little bit of narration at the beginning turns out to be a character a little bit of narration here and there yep. throughout when it's necessary like, i gotcha so like th- that fits here you yeah. know it's pretty much what it is it's pretty not much, too yeah. much not too little like but i hate it when a film does like way too much or w- even worse than that when it's like the narrator's barely there and you're like why did you have a narrator right it's on- that's only acceptable if it's the main character and they talk a lot in the film and it's like they're the narrator at the beginning like say blade trinity where it's fucking there's a little narration from uh ryan reynolds at the beginning and i'm like okay that's fine because he talks a whole bunch in the movie that yeah, makes sense yeah. you know but like when you just just have narration for no fucking reason, yeah, the, the whole fucking time, yeah, yeah it's stupid, stupid. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I kind of liked the narration in this movie, mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, um, and like all the character development in it was paced so well, and like we were talking about earlier, so nostalgic and so relatable. Yeah. Like the the whole development from beginning to end of Kaguya is one of my favorite in an animated movie that I can think about. It's just like Definitely. so, like so real, well paced. Has a pretty fucking sad resolve, and there's nothing you can do about right. it. And I right. just really like that cleanness. Um, obviously, visually, it's fucking awesome. Oh, yeah. I'm going to also give it a five. It is not my favorite of his films by any means, but that doesn't matter because it's better than a lot of films I've seen. Um, I also enjoyed it more than Falling Down, personally. Yes. But... I think what's most important about it is that it's visually very appealing. And so, like, the reason why I put those negative reviews in there earlier for you to read was because I understand that side of it as well. As I always like to say, I put those reviews in for a very specific reason. Yeah. And that's because that is a true thing. And, and, and people's voices should be heard. And so, like, there are parts of this film that really drag. And yeah, and are more about the animation, which, sorry, in 2013 works less than it did in earlier times, you know? Yeah. So it's, it kind of goes back to what I said way earlier about how, like, if this was his first film or if he had actually made it in 1960, yeah. I would have been, like, blown away. Obviously, the technology would have been different. It probably would have been not as – it wouldn't looked as beautiful. Yeah. But it, it feels like a, a director just, like – not really knowing what to do for a last project and just going back to like the thing like an old passion project yeah Yeah. so like it it definitely isn't i don't think it's nearly 
the extent of what he could do as a director. And right off the bat, if as I was going to uh, offer someone a suggestion for uh, one of his films to watch, I would go with Only Yesterday, Pompoco, and Grave of the Fireflies first because they're all very, very good movies. And now that I know you haven't seen Grave of the Fireflies, I think we're going to have to cover that soon because right. it's fantastic. <laughs> and Only Yesterday, too, because that's actually my favorite. Okay, yeah, um, I plan on watching these. But cause, because I think it's, I think it would be worthy since we did do a Miyazaki episode. Yeah, I think Takahata could... could we yeah, we can do a talk about yeah. episode. He's, cool. His movies are that good, and and uh, this one reignited that. I was like, oh man, I want now. I want to watch Only Yesterday again. Right. Um. Because I I like I said before, I think his films just they're like they're they're close enough that that I can see why people are tricked and think they're Miyazaki movies sometimes, especially Pompoko, because that has a more full Miyazaki style of art to it. Yeah. Um. But he always kind of did that, like, picture in style with the, like, corners, you know, the white corners. Yeah. He loves that really, really simple style. And there's th- there's one particular scene in this movie is that that is the reason why I gave it a five. It's very simple, and it's early on in the movie. It's the scene when she's, like, a little baby toddler crawling around on the ground. It's it's pretty long segment, but it is the most realistic i have ever seen a child's movement be animated by anyone including miyazaki who has done very well himself in a couple of different movies but oh my goodness the way that the the it's just realistic yeah but it's also when you're watching you're like oh my god that is like so many that the lines aren't that complicated no you know it's so i think that that Takahata's art should be appreciated, and I think any everybody should go see this yeah. movie. That's such a good chunk of the movie is like the just her growing up before any of like the Princess Kaguya stuff even yep. gets anywhere near to starting. But it's all there's so much detail to all those yeah. scenes. It's a lot they of like like waving grass and running through yep. the forest and like. Well, because you know what you know what's interesting. There's a film that came out right around the same time by a related director who we've talked about a lot tonight that's kind of really similar to this movie and we actually already covered it when we covered Miyazaki this is kind of like Takahata's Ponyo and that's why I think it's not as strong because Ponyo to me even though we both we gave him both fives Ponyo is stronger because I think that actually that would actually also fit perfectly in our in our theme tonight yeah and is maybe taking what takahata is doing in in this film way further by taking it and literally placing it in the modern era but i definitely find some similarities That's between the thought. two movies nice. yeah like, like how that. you have this like the the princess story based on like a very old tale obviously you know uh uh kind of recasting the idea to focus less on the prince and the people and focus more on the character in the story and her what what's going on with her you know so i i I definitely find found that interesting that it was i was like hmm you know ponyo came out not too long before this and they're kind of linked in that way right or actually wait yeah did ponyo i think ponyo Ponyo was like 2008 or something yeah yeah yeah, that's what i thought yeah so i thought it definitely that was interesting like takahata felt maybe felt inspired 
yeah. by by that a little bit. Such a know? such a pure story. Just such right. just like very like right. very well, light and pure. If you look and if you look at the if we look at the numbers here, I believe that they actually uh might even fit up because I'm pretty sure you're right that that was like 2008, 2007 at the very least. Um, 2009. 2009, okay. And then when did this was Wind Rises come out? Oh, shit, okay. 2013. Okay, yep. So, like, they're both, I mean... They gotta be aware of the fact that they're the they're the grandfathers, the godfathers, whatever of Studio Ghibli. They're coming to the end of their respective careers. You know, eventually they're gonna have to. They're gonna get to the point eventually where they can't do it anymore. You know, they yeah. can't do anything other than perhaps oversee slash be an executive producer, but not really. You know, be as involved as they are normally in their films anymore. Right, yeah. Obviously, you know. Yeah. So like. So it's, it's good for them to get yeah. one last fucking right. One and last I, bang I, out. I just find it interesting that they're both kind of like they're both kind of following a similar pattern here and doing some like kind of throwing back and forth. I do hope it, it doesn't look like we're going to. He's as we said now eighty two. I do hope we get one more Takahata film. I yeah, think he, I think nice. he might have one in him. Yeah, maybe he's been you working know. on it for like eight well, years. I mean Miyazaki said Miyazaki said fucking Ponyo was going to be his last film. Then he said Wind Rises is going to be his last film. Yeah. And now... He's like, what, 15% done with the new one? Uh, yeah. he's And he's only 79. He's younger. Right. Um, but yeah, no, right now he's working on... Yeah, I what's forget it called? what it's called. I always forget the name of it. Uh, it sucks because he's one of those guys who has such an amazing filmography that I forget that, like... It has its own page. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> you know, he has he has a works page, like yeah. not just like filmography of its works. Of, yeah, you know, um, yeah, and that's I mean, how you know you've done. Yeah, it. like they're both fantastic. You know, Miyazaki is really a he's a dynamo. It's called How Do You Live? Question okay. mark. Whoa, there's a question mark on yep. it too. Nice, fuck yeah, yep. I'm into that. Um, and it's about a uh, it's based on a 1937 book of the same name. And it is it takes place, I, I believe, in that time, like po right around post imperial Japan. Oh, it is shit. anticipated to be released before the twenty twenty Summer Olympics. Which will take place in Tokyo. So that is not there's no definite we'll date. See about but that. Yeah. That'd be nice. Yeah. Put the I didn't pen, even realize put that, that pencil to the metal, yeah. Miyazaki. I didn't even realize that the summer games were coming up this year. Yeah, I totally, totally forgot, forgot about that. Yeah, that yeah, it's totally that the every four, four or so. Yep. Yeah. Shit. Um, well, that'll be pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, in Tokyo, that movie comes out too, and we get to know, talk about it. In two thousand and two, the World Cup was in Korea, Japan. So wow, <laughs> that's nothing. Fact. To, you know, twenty twenty. <laughs> I like that. Two thousand and two. They Dude, had the same digits. Did you see that thing about how? Um, 2020, uh, well, 1992 calendars can be used. Yeah, as, as, as yeah, with the, the WWF one. Oh, yeah, 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 exactly. But yeah, there's like <laughs> I looked it up on eBay, and there's so many people that are selling like 1992 calendars, like vintage, like pinup girl calendars that is, that or like so Marlboro cigarette things. Yeah, <laughs> yeah and like yeah. well, I, uh, yeah, I'm sitting there scrolling through them on eBay. I'm like, damn, right. like a Camel I, cigarettes calendar. I actually, I, I have a cool, that. I have a cool calendar behind you over there that I got to figure out when that's gonna line up. It's a, uh, it's a Lord of the Rings 
animated like the Ralph Bashiki or whatever yeah. movies, like the seventies movies. It's an animated movie calendar that came out. I think it's nineteen seventy nine, maybe. So I guess that would have fit up. Maybe that would have fit up last year. I guess was that be what? It, I don't Wait, know. The, I don't that calendar is from nineteen seventy nine. Yeah. Holy shit! Yep. My mom had it. That's at, an old calendar, my yeah, friend. My mom had it. Oh She's a, a middle school librarian for years. And uh, it was just there in her library, and she was like, I found this. You want it? I was like, heck, yeah. Fuck, I want that. Oh, my. Heck, yeah. Yeah, I was talking to my mom, Dylan. (laughs) I wouldn't say the F word in front of her. Fuck, I want that. You know, this was in, like, the back. This is, like, when I was, like, a freshman in high school or something. But, yeah, I've had it for all those years. Yeah, so it's it's pretty sick. It has a bunch of like you know little stills from the from the movie and stuff. Fuck yeah, man! Yeah, so that's tight. I gotta figure out when that's that's probably gonna be another ten years. That Who knows? Knows? <laughs> yeah, we'll figure it out. So well, that year comes though. That means I guess the last thing we could talk about. We did kind of already kind of overview it. I I would say that even though I'm definitely picking Kaguya as the winner tonight, I would say that. The nod to Falling Down, and and I definitely recommend watching Falling Down if you have not seen it, by the way. Yeah, I recommend um, it. But the nod to it definitely goes in the terms of how interesting it took the possible source material. Because, again, I don't know how much it was based in the Odyssey, but I love... Because we got the idea from our listener, uh, actually, whose name is also Kevin. Oh. Shout out to Kevin. Hell yeah. Uh, Sinclair, I believe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Kevin Sinclair, he my gave, man. Yeah, Shout out. He gave us the this. This was his his pick. He's the one who picked it, and then it got voted actually last, sadly. But for the first time ever, the My Movie's Better Goblins of Voter Fraud yeah. stole the viewer's pick. Yep. and decided to pick the least voted pick, which was Falling Down. So we're going to roll a die in a little bit. Yes, we are. We're going to, you know, whatever. We're not going to tell you what number that no, is. No, the listeners will like, not know. Yeah, you're not going to know. But that, whatever number comes up there, that's the next episode yeah, that we're doing. Eventually they so, will. So voters back. beware. Voters beware, yes. Your vote could mean absolute dog shit. Yes. Depending on or what it could mean everything. Or you could, yeah. yeah. So you might want to vote for right. a, you might want to purposely <laughs> not vote for one that you want to get covered. Exactly. You know? A little strategy there. Play a little right. mind games with, with <laughs> Facebook. Right. Yeah. So yeah, I also picked that as yeah, the winner. You know, yeah, we, t- we got into that pretty hard. Right. You but have I do a think topic for... I do. I have yeah. a topic for next week. Uh, yeah. Our next episode, I guess the best way to put it would just be go straight up with... It's going to be called Revisionist Westerns. And that is a very particular style of Western... Some of them, sometimes spaghetti westerns are considered, but I'm very specifically, we're going to be looking for a movie that is called a revisionist western. And my pick is what I think the godfather of the true revisionist western, the first true revisionist western, and it is Sam Peckinpah's fantastic film, The Wild Bunch. Um... I think every other film that is considered in that genre of it kind of is derivative of The Wild Bunch. And I, you said you hadn't seen it when we talked about it earlier. And I was yep. like, fuck, I have to show you this movie. <laughs> it's really fucking good. Fuck yeah. It's so like out of its time and it's fantastic. But we'll be talking about that next week. So yep. on the group, if you're listening to this episode now and it is still around the time of <laughs> early to mid-January yeah. in 2020... You should check out our My Movies Better group where you can vote 
And you can also add suggestions for other revisionist Western films to go up against the granddaddy of all revisionist Western films, uh, The Wild Bunch. Tough competition. Yeah, it is. As as claimed by Kev. It is. Trust me, man. (laughs) This movie is fantastic. Yeah, you get on that Um, group, you... Literally pick what we watch. Definitely. You know, you should do it. And, and it's a good uh, community, too. We it is, yeah. We're always fun. just chit-chatting yeah. about a bunch of movie bullshit. You know, it's it's fun. Yeah, we share memes. Yeah, and memes and news and stuff. So, yeah, you know, it's a make good, polls, it's a good spot. vote on random shit. Yeah. You know, just have fun. So you can, and like, also, uh, I've been making just, like, video reviews of uh, different stuff. I currently am working on a uh, series of Harry Potter movie reviews which I will hope to get back to soon, even though the daunting task of doing, like, five more reviews or six <laughs> uh, or whatever it is oh is, no. like, oh, God. Um, but I also just – we just up, I just uploaded a uh, episode covering the first four episodes of the Netflix series The Witcher. Um, there's sort of, like, more comedy and ingest sort of stuff, and I like to uh, make fun of the stuff that I like. So disclaimer, if you've watched any of them, I do love all the stuff that I'm talking about, and I'm including Silent Hill Revelation. Uh, <laughs> and actually, I didn't think it was that good. I was making fun of the whole sword fight at the end. But I definitely uh, I definitely think you should check out the videos if you haven't. And yeah. uh, Also, Kevin made a Facebook page recently. I'm sorry, I have to oh. say this. <laughs> he made a Facebook page that's one of those, like, the same video but new music yeah. over it every time. And it's Shaq just DJing, just just getting busy behind the yes. turntables. It's called the <laughs> same video of Shaq DJing different tunes, I believe is what it's called. Yeah, look it up and look it up and follow it. Yeah. That shit is hilarious. It's fun. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you can also you. like, yeah. Thanks for listening. You could like. No, I'm uh, thanking you for oh, Shaq. Yeah. Oh, dude, <laughs> the yeah, Shaq. No problem, page. man. Yeah, dude, that shit cracks me up. Mm-hmm. Some of like my most active Facebook pages that I look at are like <laughs> whatever thing dancing right, to different right. video like i follow so many of those it's a problem like so, a therapist would be concerned yeah, yeah. about that so uh before we end tonight uh anything else you've been watching recently any movies or television programs um so like i mentioned earlier uh thx oh was yeah yep, like yep. my kind of most recent thing i've been watching the witcher Same. a little bit <laughs> yeah obviously <laughs> I'm still, yeah still kind of crawling through that and I've been just kind of like taking advantage of my uh, Criterion channel subscription because oh, like, I have to do that I too. Up, I, I ended always up forget I have that. And they got a lot of really great like video essays and and interviews with a lot of directors and Definitely. cinematographers and stuff. I've been watching a lot of those. Those are really cool. They what about also yourself? I uh, well I actually have been also watching The Witcher, yeah, <laughs> um, which is fun. Also like um. Oh, and The Simpsons. Simpsons, well, since I got nice. Disney Plus, dude, I've just nice. been blasting yeah. through The Simpsons. Um, I've honestly recently, because uh, I be, I love fucking like cooking competition shows. Hell all of yeah. a sudden, I never watched them before, and then one day she was watching Chopped. Olivia, I mean my my wife, and so my <laughs> she's ill. My living wife. <laughs> So <laughs> she was like, she was watching it one day, and I was like, "Oh, this is stupid. I hate these shows. It's so gross." Because I used to work in a kitchen, so I'm like, "Oh, working in a kitchen is so gross." That's what I thought. And then <laughs> I sat down and I started to watch it, and I was like, "This shit's fucking for real, bro." <laughs> and then I shot Jet Tila, and I'm like, "I know Jet Tila," because I used to watch <laughs> fucking Iron Chef, and I'm like, "All right, all right, I'm cool with this." Hell yeah! And then I fell in love with Scott from Chopped. 
So he's my husband now. Oh, yeah. And so Yeah, how about yeah. that, Liv? I'm in a polygamous marriage. Yeah. <laughs> um, but <laughs> no, but like so seriously, I I got really into it. Now we're watching Cutthroat Kitchen. Oh, I already yeah. I love Yeah, I walked into yeah. record tonight and Cutthroat Kitchen yeah. was actively um, playing. I just I mean like I know reality TV is so derived from like it's it's so derivative of itself, but like I, I it's fun to watch. Yeah. I don't care. I recently saw, I, so oh, I've just recently got like the reminder that <laughs> uh, reality TV exists. Yeah. By like I, I don't know. I'm just like oh yeah, these things like exist. Like I, I learned about uh, like Love Island. Oh UK, god. Like show. oh god. Oh, yeah, There's this show. Okay. So things are crazy. The world is crazy. Right. As most you, of our li- as what happened to Cribs? <laughs> as most of our listeners know, I'm a big wrestling fan, and uh, I don't watch as much WWE TV anymore, but for a while when smackdown was still on tuesdays we were watching that and uh they used to have these commercials for a show that's like paradise island or some shit and it's like a bunch of couples go to an island and then they all fucking cheat on each other hell yes yeah. <laughs> and it's like they're all the same goddamn thing literally you could just watch the promos every week and get like the whole story yeah. of the episode dude fuck. so bad oh my god so other than reality tv yeah. uh, i recently Got into Letterkenny. Oh yes, which is really really funny. I highly suggest that. Also, I'm about to because I haven't actually watched an episode yet, but I'm about to check out that new uh, uh, Moffat show, fucking um, Dracula. Oh yeah, I heard it's a three parter. I've heard some mixed reviews. I've heard that, some very mixed reviews, and they intrigue me <laughs> yeah, greatly. I, mean, uh, yeah, I, I am like, say, is this curious. terrible? I hope so. Yeah, for real. I'm ready to buckle up for like four yeah. hours of potential shit. Yeah, I'm ready. So, Why not? So that's Fuck another it. thing on the radar. But other than that, honestly, because I started watching the Witcher series, which I'm a huge fan of. Um, I know in the video I kind of mocked a lot of stuff from it, but I think I made it clear that like, I'm, <laughs> yes, I'm a huge fan of it. Uh, 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 Henry Cavill is fantastic in it. Uh, the guy, I don't know his name off the top of my head, but the guy who plays Yaskier is also very good. The whole cast yeah. is really good. Um, but more than anybody, the woman who plays Yennefer is so fucking good that like she, like, like Henry Cavill could carry it pretty well as Geralt, but she really like understands how important Yennefer is as a character and I'm saying all this because I've recently also gotten back into the Witcher game series. I started playing <laughs> The Witcher 3 Wild Hunt again. I just finished Chapter 2 of it. People out there, if you have not played The Witcher game series, go play it. If you have tried to play it and you thought it was too hard, put it on fucking story mode, easy mode only, yeah, and play the play game, game, dude. Yeah, I've never the played s- them, but like, the story it. itself is so good. It's a game that that presents you with lots of choices and paths you can take down. You can replay it so many times. Literally one quest line can you can spend like 2 hours on it or you can spend 20 minutes on it. It's yep. there's so much it's so much fun. I've been playing a lot of that. I'm really enjoying it. Um and so that has really taken up a lot of my time that normally I'd be watching movies and yeah. shit like that. So I've like had a little bit of like Letterkenny and gin cooking challenge shows in the background yeah, while I right. fucking play that game. So, Makes sense. Yeah, it's a good so call. I couldn't recommend it enough. Yep. Honestly, fuck yeah. Especially if you haven't played it. So. Oh, I also saw Uncut Gems. Oh ah, yes. Didn't say it, I'm, so I'm not gonna like get into it or anything. Oh, that's but right. um, I already I know a lot was, about it. Yeah, I so. thought it was great. Uh, it's another just fucking awesome A24 film. Yep. And Safdie, uh, Safdie Brothers. Is yeah, Safdie yeah. Brothers. Uh, 
like direct and produce whatever wrote mm-hmm. uh 103x point never did the soundtrack yep. again which is awesome the one um, and only kevin garnett is in the film yeah, as himself. Sandman, yep. fucking Adam Sandler in like a mm. fucking raw, yeah, raunchy yeah. role. Yeah, like like nice Punch Drunk see. Love, which I still yeah. maintain. I haven't seen Uncut Gems, so I don't know yet. Yeah. But I still think Punch Drunk Love, best performance by Adam Sandler. Yeah, of it's, all it's, time. this was another reminder that like that oh, he has shit, chops. Like, he yeah. yeah, he is good. Shout you out know? to he our, our local boy. From, yeah, for real. Uh, yeah, a little bit area. of a homer there. Yep. But Yep, but yeah, going. I thought it was great. Uh, go see it if if yeah. you're thinking about it. Go see it. You know, and I don't know. I'll always be. I, maybe it's because of that. Because you know, we're from this area, and he is too. That I always have this soft spot, even though I know he's made so many bad movies. Oh yeah, in his career. exactly. You're and like, like ah. I mean, literally in our our last episode, we talked. We had a whole poll about the worst Adam Sandler movie of the decade yeah, because his right. last decade has been so bad. Know, but it's so so much. Fucking it's so bullshit. weird that he would cap it. Jack with and Jill. I've never <laughs> seen that. It's so bad. I'm. I'm it's the like, worst I've been, one. Di- I've been advised not to watch it by it's, a lot of people. It will make you angry. At All right, him. cool. I'm it literally, from that. it literally made me angry that he wasn't sitting there watching the dailies, being like cancel this project right it was that it's that bad it's jill is more than detestable okay it's like it makes you angry that he would ever think that was funny honestly and like but that's the thing i have such a soft spot for him that i'm like come on adam yeah (laughs) you got it you got it come on and like i'm not even like that huge of a fan of a lot of his movies like obviously you know i have a place inside of me for for especially happy gilmore and uh, billy madison because they were so important when I was younger, but there's parts of those films that do not play well anymore, oh, you yeah, know? Shit. And, but you know, I get it different time, whatever, but yeah. I don't know. It, it just, it really, it's really great. I think I'm, it makes me really happy that he could end this really rough decade. He went through with lots of really shit on films Yeah, with something where people are like, literally the like marketing for this film was like, Adam Sandler doesn't suck. Yeah, it <laughs> it's honestly like, was. It's like Adam Sandler yeah. in a maybe Oscar right? role. And it's like, you what? know what? But it's like, <laughs> hey, like you know tagline. what? Embrace it and fucking under... And that's what I always loved about him. He he doesn't give a shit. You know what he's like? He's like, oh, no, you hate my bad movies. I'm so sad on my like mountain of cash and, and, right, life, yeah, that I'm fucking and life that I enjoy with all my friends who I make movies with. Like, So <laughs> there's a part of me that's like kind of like, I'm not, I'm like a little bit jealous of what he's got for himself. He's been able to be a schlubby guy his whole life and make a bunch of movies. He has a ton of famous friends. He can just do whatever he wants. He can go be like, I'm going to make Grown Ups 3. Who gives a fuck? And right. people will fucking pay to see it. You know, dude, so I, like, I, I, I have a lot of respect for You know, for I can't knock the hustle dude, too no, much. Coming from SNL, too, right. like, it's not like right. he started in, like, a an easy right. launch-off place. But like, I do wish he'd do more serious stuff because yeah. I think he's actually a good serious actor. It's like, fuck Adam, you make all these dumb comedy movies that aren't funny, then you make these really good serious movies, and it's like, why don't you just stick to that? Right, yeah. You've, you've earned it. With Punch Drunk Love and now Uncut Gems, he has earned to never do a comedy film again. Yeah. He can go out and go and, and make real tilt. movies. I'd be, you know? I'd be so into that career tilt yep. if he just like yep. from here on out somebody, did like somebody did get like a this podcast. Movie. <laughs> somebody get this episode, Adam Sandler. Yeah, stat. Seriously, yeah, <laughs> uh, we would love to talk to Adam Sandler. You know, oh, if, you're, yeah. if you're listening, which you are, 
Uh, if you want to come talk to us, we'll you meet know. you at Woodman's. Yeah, dude. right. We'll meet you at Woodman's. You know. Yeah. Come we, back, <laughs> hang out at Lynch Park for exactly, a little bit. Exactly, bro. Like, yeah. Come on. But like, seriously, I I definitely think he has earned the ability to go make serious movies now. Yeah, totally. Like, I'm 100 in on yep. that. All right, word. Well, word. thanks for listening. Yeah. Also, like, like, share, subscribe, yeah. rate. Thank you for joining us for the beginning of a yet another fantastic season of My Movies yeah, Better. We're yeah, we're pretty pumped up about it. Yeah, and go uh, vote if you're, you know, if it's hell yeah, January something right yeah. now. <laughs> Whatever it is, listening live. Well, always, always <laughs> go check. You know, always yeah. go. You can there, join. There will be something to vote right? on, no matter when you're listening to this. You know, you can unless you listen to it in like the like 2089. Right. Like, uh, we won't have anything to vote on. If yeah, if it's like but a like, fallout situation yeah like you, have a you recovered boy. an iphone yeah out of like know, the debris of all that's available are like my movies better my episodes. movies better <laughs> podcast episodes yeah yeah don't go on facebook then <laughs> yeah but but you know yeah check out you know youtube my movies better Hell search yeah. it instagram instagram twitter i never post yeah on twitter. twitter yeah i try we'll to there. but we'll i forget there. yeah you know but really instagram YouTube. like all that yeah youtube for sure heavy that right big now. yeah facebook we got a facebook page and we have a group you know, I know most of you guys listening are already a part of it, and hey, all of you, and thank you for yeah. being there, and love you for loving me, and us, and everything. Yeah, exactly. We're very, I like literally, I know there's like a core because of the numbers. I know there's like a core group that listen to every episode, and I'm like, thank you, you guys, because literally, if you weren't there, I wouldn't do this anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I would have given up, you know. So like, awesome. Thank yeah. you. Good night. Good luck. And as always, go fuck yourself. Fuck you. Thank have a you. great time doing it. Tonight. <laughs>